History is made by the Republic of Ireland. I'm honestly speechless. I mean, we're going to a World Cup, but it's what dreams are made of. For all the best reaction to the girls in green qualifying for the World Cup, subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast stream now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Falls right down in front of us in our commentary position here at Hampden Park as Scotland attacked down to the left, over hit for Weir and now it's with Denise O'Sullivan, little pocket of space to try and pick out a pass, which she does for Amber Barrett, takes it on her end step Barrett for Ireland, into the area toe push it, goal! What a moment! Maybe the moment of a lifetime for Amber Barrett! And how appropriate that it's the woman from Donegal who gives Ireland the lead at Hampden Park. She drops to her knees. Ireland won. Scotland nil. A place in the World Cup within touching distance. The entire Irish team run to celebrate. Yeah, brilliant commentary from Nathan last night at Hampden Park alongside Emma Byrne. Kathleen, how are you? I'm not well after listening to that. <laughs> I watched it on the TV, so that's the first time I've heard it, and I could feel the emotions welling up in me again. Oh, what a night. What a night. I genuinely did not think I'd be sitting here this morning celebrating. Uh, I was convinced for the entire day that we weren't going to win it, and when Amber Barrett scored that goal. Of all people as well, we said it yesterday that it was going to be someone you didn't expect it to come from, and Amber Barrett, I didn't even think she'd make the team, to be honest, so... We also talked about how Ireland had managed to stop largely beating themselves, which was something that Vera Pauly spoke about in the aftermath of the game. But then 15 minutes, 13 minutes in, you're like, oh, Jesus. Here we go again. Yeah. 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 And, and then also, even after the penalty save, the referee was like giving Katie McCabe a long talking yeah. to and, and telling people don't touch people in the penalty area. It wasn't like, I'm going to give this penalty again because you missed it. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> the ref didn't have the best night in the world, I have to say. And like, even I'm not even saying that just from an Irish point of view. I feel like the Scottish will be quite unhappy with the few decisions that were given. It seemed like anything that was quite blatant, she didn't give. And then there'd actually be a really decent tackle and someone would get the ball and she'd be like, oh, foul. And I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I mean, if uh, anyway, so we, we managed, not, that, that, that managed not to happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Courtney Brosnan, I thought, was definitely player of the game but then you're like actually there's probably three or four others who uh, could equally have got it um. Yeah I would have given it to Courtney at the end of the game I think especially I know we keep saying it but just where she's come from and last night she was so commanding there was no point where I was actually worried and it probably says as much about like the shots on goal that uh, Scotland actually had but she was just very calm she was very in control the penalty save, it wasn't the best penalty I've seen in the world, but she read it completely right. Mm. She, and and gets it far enough away so that it's not an easy tap-in for somebody. You know, so frequently those penalties get saved and pushed straight into the oncoming traffic and then it's like, oh, nearly a save. I love that Vera posted afterwards as well. It was completely within the plan, like that they had analysed the penalties. Courtney Brosnan said herself, like we knew she was going to go that way. You could see her moving that way before the ball was even hit. Yeah. Uh, everything about last night's performance was, was meticulously calculated. Well, certainly post-match, you're like, um, the, so we can talk about Amber Barrett and, and uh, like just how amazing a representative of Ireland and of her people and of her parents from Chrysler and from Donegal generally. Like, it was sensational. It was de- somebody was like, oh, best interview post-match ever. And I'm like, yeah, it probably is. Probably, it probably is. But in the middle of it, she also goes like, here's exactly what's gone through my head 
as I'm bearing down on goal with the weight of history behind me, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take the ball away from the defender. I can't, I can't uh, chip it because she doesn't come off the line. So yeah. I've done my research. I've got coaching in my head. <laughs> and then I still have the presence of mind to just pff, toe poke it past the keeper. And then I'm kind of self-deprecating because I've just made history and I can do that now. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. And the fact that she said to Vera Powell apparently during the week that she was going to come yes. on and score a goal as well. Yeah, Vera Powell told Ashling that. Just confidence. Like, yeah. Brute and confidence. also, it's the type of thing that like... When it's nil all, the manager remembers, like, she said she's going to score a goal. Better take her on. Maybe she will. I don't know. (laughs) It's not my fault anymore if she doesn't. Yeah. Plant the seed in the manager's head to bring her on. Ah, she's she's unbelievable. Amber Barrett and, and yeah the interview afterwards was, was one of the most impressive things I've ever seen from someone given the, the week that was and the fact that she also had the presence of mind in the celebration to kiss the black armband and uh, remember Carissa and the people that died in that moment was quite extraordinary how, like how was she thinking about that at that time because there's so much happening in that moment she's got a giant brain it turns yeah, out yeah. Oh, processing at the speed of light she's amazing she really does though like we interviewed her for Koi Gig a couple of months back and she was just so interesting to listen to you know she was talking about how important education was to her when she was starting out in her footballing career because she was like, I don't know how this is going to go for me. You know, I don't know if I'm actually going to be able to make anything out of this. So keeping that side up is really important to me. And she was like, it's also really important to me that I keep that going for younger generations so that they know that they can have any option that they want whenever they start out their footballing career. And she's so intelligent whenever... I Like, I know you're saying about last night in the postmaster interview and how good it was, but I wasn't surprised in the slightest because mm-hmm. she's so passionate and intelligent whenever you're talking to her. And it was exactly what I expected of her in that moment. Um, and just the... I know you said, like, how did she even think about kissing the armband in the moment? But I imagine that must have been weighing on her so heavily and on the team and, like, with the minute silence beforehand. And the fact that she was able to do that for herself and her family, it's just... It made the moment even better than it could have been. 100%. 100%, Because there's a lot of pressure when you're through one-on-one, like, you know... We had missed a couple of very, very, very good chances in the first half. There was the goal might scramble where, okay, none of those are as good as the, the previous chance that they've been missed where it's like harder to head the ball over than into the back of the net. But we can forget about that now. Yeah. Uh, but w- with, with that happens, I mean, um, I think you were saying off air, it was like it felt like we were going to lose because we've missed those chances. Like it had the bang of a John O'Shea miss. It had the bang of a Ray Houghton miss mm. all the way back in Wembley where you're like, ah. Oh. Right, and at the end of this campaign, we look back on that moment yeah. as the one that did it for us. But then to have all that pressure and then like the calmness to uh, it was it was ice cold. Uh, well, let's actually hear from her because um, uh, there's two and a half minutes of Amber Barrett goodness here. Have a listen to this. I can't believe it. After the game, I said I didn't know what I've just done. I don't know what we've just done. But you know, you look at little moments and Courtney saving the first half, and there was just the moments that came for us. So yes, of course. I scored the goal, but Courtney's, Courtney should be standing beside me because she's equally won us that game. 65th minute, you came off the bench, and I think it was in the 72nd minute that you put it in the back of the net to put Ireland through to a World Cup. It's just incredible scenes, and here you are with your flag. Do you want to hold up your flag for us? And tell us about your celebration. Yeah, I think like the last few days have been very difficult for me. Um, it's hard to be looking forward to a game with Ireland, a World Cup playoff, and you know, a, a place very close to my heart had gone through such a tragic, tragic moment on Friday. Um, I was with my parents when the news came through, and you know, I looked at my mum, and like my mum was raised in Chrysler, so it, it was just one of those things. Like you're just like, you know, what's going on, and you're you're waiting to hear news and everything, and then obviously the news came through, and day by day it got worse, and 
I just today is just dedicated to everybody in Greece, to the to people who lost their lives, to their family, friends, everybody affected in some way. But there's one thing about Ireland, there's one thing about Donegal, is that sense of community and tightness, tight knitness, and I think we certainly had it here. We came together when we needed to, and this is 100% dedicated to Crisla, to Donegal, and to everybody, my mum and dad as well, because I wouldn't be here without any of them. Hammer, you definitely gave them all a major lift out there tonight. I know you did to all of the fans here as well and everyone back home in Creasla in Donegal. And we send all our condolences to all of them and to everybody affected by it. Can you sum up to say what it means, I suppose, to be in a World Cup? Do you know what? Last year Sky came involved with us, or two years ago, and you know they came up with the slogan, Out Believe. And I was kind of like, I don't really know because, you know, is it something that you know, you're, gonna, you're really going to back up? But every game, you just get that something you just outbelieve. It's just like, just really think that you're going to do something that you don't believe you're going to do, and then go and do it. And that's the only way I can sum it up. I, we've literally outbelieved every single person. We've outbelieved whoever set us up in that group. I'd say nobody would have given us a chance of getting to this stage. I think when you know Scotland won on Thursday night coming to Hamden Park, nobody, like you know, we were underdogs coming into today, and we we accepted that. But at the end of the day, we know what we're capable of. We've done it. We're going to Australia, and I have two friends. Actually, I have more than two, but I have two friends who've just recently gone out, and Rachel and Becky will see us there next year. Uh, yeah, it's 72, massive outsiders. Like, uh, you know, it's a 50-50 game, but it wasn't really. Like, that's not what... We, we were shorn of a lot of our best players, a lot of our bench strength, and, you know, maybe it was written in the stars. We were kind of talking yesterday about the who was going to have the Alan McLaughlin moment. It's going to be known as the Amber Barrett moment from now on, I think. Like, it was just... I, and and the, those last like that was what the seventy second minute when she scored like the last twenty five minutes including injury time were just painful oh painful <laughs> and they went on for so long like those seven minutes of added time well it was six given but uh, I, just you couldn't look at the TV you were kind of trying to listen to the commentary and 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 maybe taking what was happening but uh, you were just dreading one of those moments but that so many clean sheets this team get is that five in a row now maybe for, for yeah the that's team? exactly yeah Vera Powers like, like five clean sheets in a row against top quality opposition that's it. everybody and you listen. Like Amber, Amber uh, in, in the post-match interview as well, she was saying, um, you know, she was asked about, oh, it's going to be you know tough opposition to get into the World Cup squad squad next year now, and she was like, well, if you want to win the World Cup, you're going to have to pick me. So you forget now that there's actually a World Cup to look forward to next next no, year. We so, no, we well, don't. No, we don't. But like, uh, it was almost because there was so much build-up to this uh, game. I do think like, that I do think that we should all calm the jets thinking about next summer. Like, you gotta you gotta revel in this now for enjoy a the moment. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, like, yeah. A, a, the, the fortunate thing is, the injuries are going to happen. Hopefully, loads of those players come back from injury. But like, um, you know, we had heard that um, the uh, the injury to Zoo last week was pretty bad. It's an like, ACL officially, yeah. Yeah, and that there's complications around that. Like, well, she might not be back for the World Cup. That's the thing. And for a player like her, I can't imagine what last night felt like. In that, I'm sure she was delighted, but also the general stress and the pressure of trying to get back for a World Cup next year is like it, it's a lot, especially for a young player and a young player who was looking like she was going to have a breakout season in WSL. But look, hopefully, you never know with these things seems unlikely that she might be back for next year but it could also change so we can only wish that she is because I mean to go to a World Cup with a squad of like young Irish talent as well because I know how much it'll mean to the likes of Denise and Katie but also we want to build on this you know we want to be looking ahead to the Euros we want yeah to- we need some young centre-backs <laughs> <laughs> what is it 101 is there the age between the three of them 
which, yeah. I, which Nathan pointed out to, to Louise Quinn very rudely last night. Uh, she's the youngest of the three of them, in fact. Which she also pointed out. Yeah. Uh, tell, us, tell us what you think this morning. 0879-180-180 is the WhatsApp number. If you want to get in touch, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream or you can get us at Off The Ball AM. A reminder, OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. We're going to speak <coughs> with Sue Ronan at uh, 10 to 8. Mark Wilson's going to join us. We'll talk a bit about Celtic, but we might also talk a little bit about uh, how his boys, his girls, took one hell of a beating last night. Sports pages and news at 8.35. Keith Wood is going to give us the best 15 he played against at 8.50. And we'll play out with Alex Dunn tonight. Uh, right. Uh, Fahi is the next one that we're going to drop in on here. I think she's talking to Nathan. It might be Ashling. I'm not sure. Have a look. I hope someone's got the, the champagne on. I'd imagine there's plenty with the champagne on. You're looking around. Are all the family here? All the family there from Galway. So they've come over to support me. So it's a great, great night. This, this uh, most definitely puts you top of the family roll of honour now. It's above any All-Ireland, isn't it? This is international. <laughs> I, I, I hope so. My brother Gary was saying before the tournament that we were going to Australia and he was driving everyone in the, ma- in oh, the yeah? house mad, going on about, I'm booking the tickets, I'm booking the tickets. But he was right. So he must have knew so- he must have known something we didn't. We're back to the days of credit union loans again for everybody for the <laughs> well, longest I think Dr. Hard credit union might be closed <laughs> at this stage. So maybe get, get down on their early doors uh, you, we mentioned it a few times in commentary you've been around a while you've yeah. been around this group and you've been through some tough days on the pitch you've known how tough it's been at times off the pitch possible to express just what these last few minutes have meant to you uh, I can't put it into words honestly I, I, I still I'm in a bit of disbelief that we're actually going it, does, it hasn't sunk in but just relief I think is the, we've been trying for so long and now to like as well the other results went their way and we're actually going now that's it no tournament in January going to the World Cup amazing you, you can't say it enough can you <laughs> can't say it enough for going to the World Cup yeah sensational talk to us a bit about her and, and like her incredible Ireland career Kathleen yeah I think that's what stuck out to me so much last night I know we're joking about the backs and the fact that everyone you know has been there for so long but <sighs> Players like Fahi, they have literally been there with the squad since the very start. They have built this team. They've slugged it out for years and years. They've been there for all the disappointments. It was so great that she got back after having that injury because I know for her, this means, I mean, you saw it in the video, this means absolutely everything. And even what she's done, you know, over in Liverpool over the last couple of seasons, she... She's up there, like, and she she's led, especially that team. Like Liverpool went down for so long; they were, for a lot of people, thought that like the years of them being a powerhouse was over. And she has been at the forefront of making sure that's not the case. Getting them back up to the WSL this year, leading them. Anytime you see any promotion, it's her standing beside Jordan Henderson. You know, yeah. she she is a massive <clears throat> name over there, and she has been a massive proponent of the f- success that Ireland has had and. Just one of those really reliable, dependable players that when you see she's there, you're like, okay. And she was that last night as well. Um, she, apart from a few like incidences which we won't mention, she was very, very good. It's like the redemption thing. Like she, she gives away the penalty, but then she wins the header that leads to the goal. Like Denise O'Sullivan doesn't play that well, but then she has the pass that leads to the goal. Uh, even Courtney Brosnan, like I know, that, like not too long ago we were talking about is she the is she the number one choice should be should she be picked, and then she has a campaign like she's just had. So there's stories of redemption all across this team, um, and, and like Nia Fahey is just one of them. Yeah, uh, her brother Gary obviously captained Galway to win All Ireland. That was what Nathan was talking about at the start of that. Um, so yeah, I mean they can have that friendly conversation over Christmas, which is uh, Christmas dinner. I which think is she played important. in All Ireland as well herself. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, not a bad career. Mm. Pretty talented family, yeah, yeah. Fair play. Um, 
yeah, and, and the fact that, 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 as you say, Kathleen, she's such a big name over there. We forget that about some of these players as well, that we get caught up in the international scene as well, but even at club level, they're huge names, you know? I completely like when the Queen died, Liverpool sent two representatives. It was Jordan Henderson and Lee Fahey, you know? <laughs> it, and it, it's strange to think about for us because I suppose we do see these players on such a localised level and maybe besides the likes of Katie, we don't really appreciate what... It, like, Denise O'Sullivan is a legend over in America for what she has done for North Carolina Courage. She is... Uh, you know, players like Davina, some of the best Brazilians, some of the best American players in the world, all look at her and go she is the best player we've ever played with. And I don't know, sometimes, do we appreciate them as much at a club level and what they've achieved? I think maybe because Liverpool have only come up this season as well, that might be part of it. Like, they were slightly unheralded last season. Yeah, well, last season, not so much, I would say, because of the run that they did go in the Championship. They were so dominant and they were in in incredible form. I think before that, the last few seasons, definitely not so much. Um... And it, and it's funny as well when you because Liverpool were one of the top teams in the country for so long and then I don't know the club the owners just decided not to put the funding into them and the minute they did they achieved amazing things yeah okay so uh, that is the crack with Nifai, um and obviously we hope that they all make it uh, safe and sound to the World Cup next summer uh, right let's go to the airport uh, Ashing O'Reilly is there <clears throat> Ashing what what kind of scenes have you been uh, witnessing since since full time last night. Good morning, guys. Oh, my God. Absolutely amazing. I've lost my voice. Nathan has definitely lost his voice, too. It, it was just incredible. It really was to be there in the press box and to see even, you know, media crying because it really is such an historic moment. And it was as well because of there was a, a lot of tragedy around Amar Barrett with the Creaselock tragedy. And then there's this elation and this you know, incredible moment, historic moment. And yeah, it, it was just full of raw emotion and it was just amazing to be there and to see this bunch of girls who thoroughly deserve the win, thoroughly deserve to be at a major tournament and how difficult it was for them to get there and the way they done it, it, it was just absolute scenes is the only way I can describe it. And yeah, it was amazing to be there to witness it. And uh, what, what kind of a night afterwards? <laughs> um, so the girls went straight back on the flight so the, obviously you might have seen some of the videos of the girls getting off at Dublin airport for us then we obviously did the interview straight after pitch side which is amazing and then we went for a few drinks afterwards and yeah I haven't got much sleep I probably got about three hours so yeah I'm probably looking quite rough but sure look it we're going to a World Cup I do not care <laughs> uh, there, Was there any consistency in what they were saying afterwards and we actually put all the post-match together in one sim- simple podcast for everybody to go and, and download and listen to after the show um, <clears throat> but there was kind of this sense that like there'd been a turning point after the seven defeats in a row and that was one aspect of it and then the, the older generation of players were all talking about Liberty Hall and I think the fact that like Emma Byrne was pitch side with you guys as well they were just kind of coming over and, and celebrating with her and like <clears throat> they, they clearly feel like they're part of this long story that goes all the way back to Emma Byrne's era where the players had to change the tracksuits in an airport and go on strike and kind of catapult themselves onto the national consciousness and they've never gone away from then no and it is so important that Emma Byrne gets this recognition you know for what she done and I think all of the girls really realize that they appreciate that and it was amazing to see like she was standing pitch side and their family friends were there they were running to, to Emma you know they were running to Emma in pure just raw emotion of the, of the whole thing and just saying to her like 
thank you basically and thank God Emma Byrne did what she done because you know would we be here in this position now I don't think we would um, and it is just amazing to see where they've came from 2017 to now and a lot of the players just spoke about you know having those seven defeats in a row and then just believing and obviously the strength and depth in the squad and and the impact that, that Vera has made as well you know within the squad it's it's you know clear to see and the, the type of football they're playing, it's not always pretty. It's absolutely not. But uh, I think last night was quite a good performance in in terms of they sat quite deep, they pushed forward, but, it, you know, they did what they needed to do to get the win. They, they know how to play to their strengths, and that's important. And, yeah, it just feels like such a massive moment for, for Irish sport as a whole. You know, it's, it's, it's absolutely huge. And, yeah, you could really see it, like just even having Lauren McCabe, Katie's little sister, on the pitch um, after the game. And, you know, she's watching her future. She She's able to see now this is possible. You know, I can go to a World Cup when... When Katie was growing up, you know, it, it wasn't visible, that's for sure, but in Ireland. But, uh, yeah, she dreamt, and, and look at it now. It, she took over the captaincy at 21, and here she is captaining them to a World Cup. It's, yeah, quite an amazing story. It's life-changing for them. They, they also, like, um, spoke about the coverage that they've got and uh, the fact that that has really helped them to dream and to crystallise their own ambitions in a way that maybe sometimes outside the squad you think okay it's important that they do get this but actually they talked about that too Oh yeah because I suppose if you're not achieving these things or you're not getting to major tournaments (laughs) there's doubts there and it's also the knock-on effect of of having those experiences and and making it to these major tournaments and you know I spoke to Chloe Mustaki after the game also and she just spoke about the journey that she's been on personally and how as a group, you know, that they knew that they could do this. It was just a matter of, you know, clicking, getting the results. And obviously there had to be the other games, the other playoff games going their way as well. So it really wasn't easy. They needed the rub of the green. And finally, last night, they got it, you know, up until now, it hasn't been the case. And even that penalty in the first half, you know, Courtney, what an amazing save. And yeah, things just went their way. And yeah, about time because we needed we needed a bit of luck. Ashley, we're going to let you go and uh, catch your flight. Thanks a million for that. And we're going to keep playing some of the interviews that you did afterwards with the, the players. Here's Chloe Mustaki. Have a look at this. Chloe Mustaki, you're going to a World Cup. I still can't believe it. I won't believe it until the preparations start next year. Um, it's unbelievable. You know, just thinking about the amount of times that we've been on the other end of this. You know, so many times we've come so close to qualifying, especially, you know, getting with the Euros a couple of years ago. So it's amazing. Everyone here deserves it. You can see it in the faces and the emotions, all the family and friends that have travelled and even all the support that we felt from back home. That's what's got us here. And it takes, as I said, a whole nation. So uh, no, we're absolutely delighted. I can't believe it. <laughs> You're so emotional and rightly so because it's been a long road for you personally and I'm sure it's the emotion of just being delighted for the team, being so proud in a World Cup but also what you've been through and to be standing here on the pitch knowing that you've qualified for a major tournament for the first time ever, making history. Ridiculous. Uh, you know, I was I was sharing room with Katie there and a few years ago, well, what is it, 10 years ago now, I was lucky enough to captain the under-19s to, you know, uh, UEFA finals. And I said to her, are you ready to captain, you know, the Irish women's team to a World Cup? And she said, I am, right, I am. So it's been a great day. I had a good feeling since I woke up. Um, it's been a long year for me. And I think that's just the emotions. Being part of this team means everything to me. So I worked hard to get back. And we have so many injuries at the moment. And all those girls played their part as well. So, yeah, it means a lot. Um, and it'll be a battle to make that flight to the World Cup. But whoever's there will embrace it. And we're all... Yeah, we're all just absolutely delighted.
Yeah, Chloe Mustaki in the aftermath there speaking with Ashling at pitch side. Let's go to Sue Ronan, whose uh, fingerprints in uh, women's Irish football are all over the quality of the performance and some of the young kids coming through. So we're all delighted. I can only imagine just how ecstatic you were last night. Oh my God, you know what? I, I I got about two hours sleep last night and it wasn't from uh, celebrating or having a few drinks or anything like that. It was just the whole emotion of it and the adrenaline was flying and the thoughts were flying. The, you know, it, it was really an emotional night. I actually burst into tears at the end and the final whistle. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to Scotland. I was away with work and I was watching on my phone. But, you know, what a night, um, what an historic occasion. And it's it's really hard to put into words what this achievement means. You know, it's it's something that everyone involved in women's football in Ireland for the last 50 years, from players to coaches to administrators to volunteers, have worked towards this moment, you know. And for this group of players to, to finally get over the line, I can just say a huge congratulations to all involved, to the players, to the coaching staff. I mean, we just have super talent in that squad at the moment. And... You know, all the players bought into what Vera and her team wanted from the very beginning. Um, she outlined the commitment that was needed and you had players, every one of them went and got a professional club. They were training with boys. They were looking after themselves, putting careers on hold, really giving everything for the cause and to get us over the line, you know, to a World Cup. Like, we just can't underestimate this achievement, especially coming out of Europe. It's just fantastic. Um, talk to us then, before we get to the, the end, the emotions in the middle of the game, uh, 12 minutes in referee gives a penalty there's a yellow card it kind of seems like well okay not quite sure about the yellow card but uh, like for that bit you're thinking oh no this we've yeah. seen we've seen this movie before yeah absolutely and as I said I was watching it on the phone and the eye player the, the or she player kept stopping and blocking but anyway I got eventually I saw most of it but I wasn't getting all the replays or hearing all the commentary but yeah I, I thought we started really well we came out of the traps you know we went a- after Scotland we were pressing them really high we were aggressive we were really meant business and I thought to myself this is great this is exactly what we want we're well able to take this team you know and especially them maybe being a little bit fatigued from, from, from last week I just thought we were setting the tone early on and then it just turned as you said um, penalty given out of nothing I, I didn't see a replay or didn't hear what was said it seemed to be ball to hand was it the ball yeah. to ball leaves hand yeah and I mean she seemed distraught about it but what a save by Courtney and I have to say for me Courtney was man of the match and, and I know it was given to, to Amber and she changed the game and the course of history of course but I just thought uh, Courtney was magnificent on the night she was assured in everything she did but yeah when that penalty was given you, you thought to yourself oh my gosh we've been here before but thankfully Courtney saved it and and, and we, we were able to regroup and rally. Yeah, and then an all-time great goal might scramble that we're again on the wrong side of, like, three yeah. off the line in the yeah. space of four seconds. You're like, oh, Jesus, this isn't going to go for us. Is it ever going to go for us? Exactly. And, yeah, I don't know how, like, we didn't put it in, put, didn't score from that. And, you know, Megan Campbell's throw-ins, what a weapon that was. You know, you'd be playing for throw-ins if you were in that team. You really would. And if you're defending against us, you'd be trying to avoid at all costs. You'd, you'd sooner give a corner away, I think, than a throw-in because what a weapon it has, it is to have. And every time she put that ball in the box, it caused havoc. You know, you could see the fear on the, the Scots' face. But... Yeah, the second half then, I suppose, a little bit disappointed. We seemed to sit in deeper and invite the Scots on and they got the upper hand and, and we were looking for the counter-attack and, and um, getting Payne and, and McCabe on the ball. And then uh, Heather went off again. I don't know whether she, that was an injury or whatever, but um, when Amber came on, I thought to myself, great, we've more pace up front now. You know, the Scots might have known a lot about Amber because she probably didn't play a lot of minutes during the campaign, but... 
Yeah, what a goal, what a finish and what a story really for someone from Donegal, you know, the the, the week that's been in it to score. It was just such a poignant moment. When that pass comes through, Sue from Denise O'Sullivan and, and she takes that first touch, Amber Barrett, straight yeah. away are you thinking this is in the back of the head or what, what was going through your head in that in that few seconds? You know, I've seen Amber in that position so many times for the underage squads and for the senior squad and she scored many times and she's she's also missed and she'd say that herself but I think I heard her interview afterwards she she said she didn't do what she what, what she's been taught to do just take the ball across the defender but she didn't need to because she was so fast to get away from the defender I mean the vision by Denise straight away to put her through was excellent and in fairness Amber had picked up a nice position just away from the, 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 the centre half but yeah her pace took her away and as she said she went back to the over-reliable of the poke but I mean that's not an easy skill either she had to place that well and she really put it and it was well inside the far uh, post as well it didn't just creep in it was about a yard inside the far post she just got her angles perfectly right and it was oh look it was a fantastic moment and I just knew knowing the team we have knowing the passion that's in that team knowing how they love to defend you look at Niamh Fahey Louise Quinn um, Diane Caldwell they've been around forever never mind the rest of the team Anya Gorman as well you know Megan Campbell they just love defending and bodies and everything were on the line and I just knew the Scots were going to find it so hard to come back I think there was one stage where like the ball was coming into the box and Louise Quinn must have headed it out about three times in the space of 30 <laughs> seconds and I was like she must be dizzy after that because I know. I'd say there's some headaches there this morning but look I mean that's Yvonne, that's uh, Louise's strength it's a huge strength you know it's one of her strengths she's got many others but one of her huge strengths is her heading ability whether it's in the defensive half of the pitch or indeed in the attacking end of the pitch she's such a weapon as we know as well from set play going forward for you know at corners or, or, or Megan's throw in but yeah it was bodies on the line and like I, again we talked about Niamh Fahey coming back into that team and I know we were missing some really big players who have done so well during the campaign Megan Connolly Rusha uh, Jessu and it was good to see a couple of them there um, being able to cheer on the team but I, I think for me having Niamh Fahey back in that team was a huge plus you know really was she just brings so much she does she does so much work that people probably don't see but she's so reliable she puts her body on the line and you know when she got so anxious and so angry late on when a bit of a tackle went in again I didn't see it properly or a replay on it you knew there was something after happening because you know she's so calm on the pitch she doesn't get involved in anything she just does her job and she puts her body on the line no more than the other girls do and it was just well deserved and when you think of the campaign they've come through um to qualify, like we all felt all the ducks were aligning for this to happen, you know, with all the resources that have gone into the team over the last five, six years and with the quality of players we have now and where they're playing, we felt it was only a matter of time. But I think others will probably agree. We probably thought the Euros would have been the, the breakthrough for us because to qualify out of Europe for a World Cup, it's you can't underestimate how hard it is. This time, 11 teams actually qualified for uh, the 2023 World Cup, but that's the first time ever. It's usually only seven or eight, but even 11, it's 11 out of 54. And some of the top teams, most of the top 20 in the world are actually from Europe. So when you think about it that way, it's just some achievement. It really is for little old Ireland to qualify. It's great. I know it's not sexy to be talking about world rankings and all that kind of stuff, but actually this is massively important just in terms of our draw in groups in the future and how yeah. it might be easier for us in the future. And that in turn, it just means that the strength and depth gets better. Like this is kind of one of those rolling balls of momentum now. Everything. It's the catalyst. I mean, we've said it on this program before. We've had this conversation all through the, the qualifying uh, campaign, you know, before, after every game, after every game, after every great result. 
this is going to be the catalyst for change, um, you know, in this country, in women's football. It's going to attract more interest in the game. It's going to attract more players. It's going to normalise women playing football for the next generation of kids. And I mean, boys as well as girls. It's going to attract more coaches into the game, maybe higher profile coaches. Um, it's going to attract more investment, which is the big piece. Uh, you know, you're going to have partners now want to get involved. You're going to have broadcasters fighting with each other to show games. You're going to be able to attract marquee friendly games here. This is just the catalyst and, you know, it needs to be capitalised on. And I think it will, but it's, it's just fantastic. And it's something we've been waiting for. And we've seen it in every other country in the world. Every country where a women's team qualifies for a World Cup is the catalyst for the next step to the next level. And it's I, I can't wait to see what's going to come down the line in the next few years. It's brilliant. It's already been referenced, I think, Sue, in, in a couple of the, the post-match interviews with, with the girls last night. But Liberty Hall is only is only five years ago with the sharing of the tracksuits and, and the getting changed in toilets. Could you have envisaged yeah. back then that we would be here five years on talking about heading no. to a World Cup? No, I, 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 I didn't envisage it. But you know what? The girls were absolutely right to do what they did. There was a huge amount of work going on in the background to try and get the proper conditions for them. Unfortunately, it wasn't happening. And the only avenue open to them at the time they felt was to go public themselves. And they were right. And, and that, you know, that has led to the change now. And the resources are now put in the team. I mean, before that, you didn't have full-time staff with the team. The coach wasn't full-time. I wasn't full-time. Noah King wasn't full-time. Uh, Colin Bell was actually the first full-time coach we've had. Um, the backroom staff weren't full-time. You didn't have, a, you know, you didn't have performance analysis. You didn't have video and full-time video analyst. You didn't have um, strength and conditioning coach. You didn't have all the G- GPS, nutrition expertise. None of that. Um, home-based sessions. There was nothing like that happening. And and more importantly, the girls were out of pocket playing for their country. And, you know, you can only do that for so long for the love of the game. You know, if you want to be serious about any sport, you have to train uh, like a professional. And to be able to do that, you're in a professional environment. You're getting paid a, a proper salary where you don't have to worry about, you know, who's going to put food on the table, who's going to pay for the energy bills. And, you know, that that has come about as a result of what those girls did and you know that has led to where they are today it's, it's certainly you know it's brilliant and it's fit fi- what a celebration as well women's football is 50 years uh in 2023 it's 50 years since the first um international women's game so what a celebration that's going to be uh to 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 think about like what happens next right the uh, Vera Power talked about the five consecutive clean sheets they've obviously built a team that is ready to defend you know in the aftermath of the game they were talking about how this is part of our identity we actually really enjoy it not a bad way to go into a world cup if we are drawn against superior opposition teams ranked above us like they're not going to really fear most teams certainly if if we get drawn against England England very good at the moment uh, America very good at the moment but after that you'd be like look we know how to defend. We've defended against really good teams. We know how to attack. We, we're good on the counter-attack. Like, they're well set up to, to make a, a run at this now. No, absolutely. And we look at the players as missing, as I mentioned, and there's others as well on the underage squads that will come through. And there's others maybe that have been in the periphery of the squad that are maybe a little bit young and lacking a little bit of experience at the moment. You look, like, you look at Abby Larkin, I mean, another year under her belt now, what a player she's going to be. Ellen Malloy, likewise, and I know Ellen has an injury at the moment, but you would hope, you know, that please God herself and the others injured will be fit by then. But we've got such a pool of talented players and, you know, it's outside even the... 15, 16 that have been used. I mean, the rest of the squad, you've got others knocking on the door that haven't made the squad and and you've got underage players coming through. So, you know, I think we have a great basis to, to work from. 
I, I think big countries will fear us. They won't want to get us in the group because they know we're going to be very difficult to break down. Um, and the bigger countries won't want us. We, we've done it against Sweden. We, you know, we've done it against Denmark and friendlies, Australia, Iceland. These are big teams. Uh, yes, you're England and your USA, maybe your Japan, you know, probably Brazil. They're on a different level. Canada as well. You could probably put in that bracket. And Germany as well. Germany has been playing very well, but I don't think anyone will fancy will fancy getting us. And again, we've spoken about this before. Um, funnily enough, I think it's going to be easier to get out of a group stage uh, in a World Cup than it would, would perhaps would have been maybe in a Euros finals because you have 16 teams in the Euro finals. They're the top 16 in Europe, which are mostly the top 16 in the world. You're now into a 32 in the world uh, in a World Cup. You're going to be played against teams that have qualified from their confederations, but they're not necessarily any stronger than us. It's just the way the qualifying process is. So, you know, some of these will be ranked lower than us. So, you know, it gives us a good opportunity to potentially get some good results and against maybe weaker teams and put it up to the, the tougher teams in, in the group. I think what you're saying there, Sue, is that we're going to win the World Cup next yeah. summer. <laughs> well, Amber Barrett said last night, uh, you know, if, if she said to Vera, if you want to win the World Cup, you have to play me. So I laughed my head off. <laughs> Look, I mean, let's enjoy this moment. It's been a long time coming. No doubt we'll all, you know, rear back on, on our expectations as it gets closer. And Vera will make sure that the, nobody's running ahead with themselves. And, and look, we're not. We're being realistic. We're there. Let's enjoy that. And I'm sure the team and the squad will be prepared as best as they can to perform against whoever they play. And anything can happen. In a game of football, anything can happen. The win against Australia in the friendly, in retrospect, was this mad turning point. It's kind of a hinge moment where before that, they'd been on a terrible run where some of the performances were good, but mistakes were creeping in or some of the performances were bad and it just didn't look like it was clicking. And then all of a sudden that one night it clicks. And since then they've had confidence and belief and it's mad how that happens. Something just flicks sometimes, and, and you're right, you know, they were playing all these teams that be ranked higher, and people were questioning, is this the right thing to do? Because it's not breeding confidence, you're not winning the games. But Vera stuck to, you know, what she wanted to do, which was expose the girls to a higher level of, of opposition, which is exactly what you need to do. There's no point playing teams weaker than you and hammering them in friendlies, and, you know, you're starting to think... Oh God, we're great now, and you go up against a, a top team, and you're not able to live with them. So, yeah, th- there was doubts there for a while, but then against Australia, that win and and that just like flipped a switch. Whether it led, I'm sure it did lead to belief in the players, but I also think it's been a you know a series of building blocks that that was the plan, and and it was all leading to this moment of you know we, we, moment we waited for for years, this qualification and. It's amazing how it happens. I was at the, I'm actually in Switzerland at the moment at work. So I went to the uh, Switzerland Wales game last night and Wales were the dominant team in the first half. And I'm looking at it and Switzerland are ranked ahead of them. And I'm thinking Wales are, have no problem with this game here. One nil up, well in control. Switzerland offer, offering nothing. Switzerland scored just before halftime and that just flicked the whole game. Second half, they completely dominated and Wales went in the other direction. So sometimes it just takes one little thing to, you know, to, to switch. And that mentality, and that's definitely led, I think, helped lead us to where we are today. The girls believed then probably that they could beat these top teams, and now they fear nobody, and it's great. Like we do spend a lot of time, but but rightly so, Sue, dwelling on what what this is going to mean, and you see all the tributes from from big names, Leona Maguire and Shane Lowry and Cora Staunton, and different people sending their messages on Twitter last night. Ian Wright, yeah, Ian Wright as well, and yeah. and like yeah. I saw the video with with uh, uh, Lauren McCabe, Katie's little sister, uh, standing with Ruisha last night yeah. after the match, and you're just thinking this this literally is the next generation, and the impact this is going to have, uh, maybe on the women's national league here in Ireland as well, is going to be huge. 
I think it will. Like you're going to, as I said, you're going to see more resources now coming into the game in general. You're going to have more partners that want to get involved. There's going to be access to more funding. Government are going to, you know, I'm sure will will give more funding as they they seem to do when when you know teams qualify or go to the next level. Um, so that investment is going to come in, and that's what we we need. The game needs investment, you know, and you see that everywhere. Once investment comes in, the game grows, no matter what game it is. Um, it moves from that amateur level up up the levels and the game the domestic game in Ireland needs investment also the league needs investment um, I mean you still have some clubs that are probably training twice a week and yet that this is the elite this is where our top players are playing and I mean that's fair enough some players maybe you know they're working they're in college that's all they can give or or maybe there's no access to facilities for the club to train more often so you know I definitely it will it'll, it'll change and It'll change the game in general and you'll see all this interest. You'll see more more girls want to be involved. You'll see the boundaries being pushed. You'll see the traditional clubs around the country. And there's still some of them, traditional men's clubs, schoolboy clubs, who don't provide women's football. Um, I, you'll see all that changing now, I think, because, you know, things are changing. There's now success. Um, and to see Katie McCabe's uh, sister last night, oh, my gosh, she's a spit of her for a start. But it was yeah. just so lovely. Looking up with, you know, goggle-eyed, Google-eyed at Rusha and her sister was fantastic. That's sensational. It really is sensational. And Sue, like, you know, you do the central role in the in keeping it going when it was neither profitable uh, nor, like, um, rewarding to do so. You know, you, you stuck with it and... You do. You genuinely had had a massive role in bringing some of these players through in the past, and setting standards, and setting a tone, and making sure that it never went away. So I can see why there's like a natural outpouring of emotion and joy. And um, thanks very much, and congratulations. No, uh, no problem. Thank you, guys. And thanks for all the coverage. It's great. Sue, great to talk to you as ever. Thanks a million. Cheers. It's eleven minutes past eight. If there are any uh, men's clubs who don't provide women's football, they need to be called out. Like willing well, to. <laughs> Name and shame. Now's it's going to change. It's going to change now. Um, the thing I loved about Vera saying last night as well was the fact that the players were told at half time about the results in the other game. So uh, and, this and, is your moment. Yeah, exactly. Go and do it. And, and I was thinking, I was thinking before the game, is she going to tell them? You know, maybe is it better to not know? But in hindsight, yeah, it is better to know because as, it as didn't Vera help said, them too much for the first ten, fifteen well, minutes of the yeah, second half. Yeah, ultimately it paid, it paid off. Mm. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effort that's finished today. We're going to be talking about this all morning. We're back after the break though with former Celtic defender Mark Wilson talking about uh, Ange Postecoglou's side crashing out of the Champions League last night, beating two nil. You might have missed that. Um, they were doing very well and then conceded two late goals. And we'll also maybe talk about the football that uh, was most important last night in uh, Glasgow. Before that, here's some more reaction. Here's Nathan chatting pitch side uh, to Courtney Brosnan and Louise Quinn. We'll also have Ashton speaking with Lauren McCabe, baby sister of Captain Katie. Enjoy this. And Lauren, for you, what was it like, I suppose, to, to watch Katie out there tonight and to see her achieve a dream? Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, the fact that I get to watch my older sister out on the pitch and that's like I that's my dream to to, to be where she is right now like it's it's actually amazing to be honest well you know what I think when you get the fact of 50 out because we're going to Australia and that's that Courtney Brosnan you're getting compliments from the great Emma Byrne what a night what a night can you put into words what you're feeling right now it's really hard to put into words honestly it means the most to me and to this whole group of girls we've been working so hard to to get here and it just feels absolutely amazing to be over the line it was an unbelievable team performance but there were some individual moments in there that were important as well yeah. the penalty after 30 minutes Ireland had started really well it was a free cam ball almost 
Talk us through your, your process. You're going up against one of the best players in the world against in Caroline Weir. Yeah, I think we just talk about how important it is for me to back up the back line. They work so hard for me, and I just want to do my job to help them. So as soon as they conceded uh, the penalty, I said i got to do everything I can to save this. So obviously just stepped up and made the save when we needed it. Quite often in Irish sport, we like the old uh, smash and grab, and we steal a win here. This was anything but. It was an outstanding display from first minute to last, created so many chances. 1-0 was probably the least you deserved. That must even add to it that you, on a night like this you performed so well. Yeah, 100% and obviously there's waves where Scotland come with a lot of pressure and I think it's important for us to defend and ride those waves and then take our chances when they come so we were able to do that and it's amazing. Can you talk about Vera Powell and what she's done for you and the, the faith she has done with you at the start of this campaign? You know, there was questions as who was going to be first choice. She very much made it clear you were the one and well, I think it's fair to say you more than repaid her tonight. <laughs> yeah, I think it's been great having her in and obviously we've seen the growth in this squad through the campaign and how much yeah we've grown together and it feels great to obviously be out there with the girls and just do my part to help us get results. Family here tonight? Yeah, my dad's in the crowd. Ah, brilliant, brilliant. It's one of those nights you don't want to hold you from the family. What's the plan tonight? It's yeah. going, to be, going to be a long one. Some good celebrations, I hope. Will you bring Emma Byrne with you? Yeah, of course. Well done tonight, Courtney. Brilliant Thank stuff. Thank you very much. Deep breaths, Louise. You've qualified for the World Cup. Yeah, I can't believe it. Um, it hasn't sunk in, but... I, you know, I did believe we could do it again. Just how everything was building up, our, you know, our match day minus one session here, just the atmosphere, how the squad was feeling. Um, you know, we had a lot to do during the week, but just that that session, then it just affirmed it for me. We were we were ready to go, and you were ready to go because that was an outstanding performance from yeah. back to front. Like you were on it tonight. One nil yeah. was was the least you deserved. Honestly, yeah. First half, that's you know the amount of chances we had and. Literally, that was it. You know what I mean? It was. It was everyone. It was. It was bodies. Bodies on the line on on both ends, and you'd you'd expect that from the you know from the Scots as well. But again, we can put away those chances. We can do that. It's proven that we're well capable of coming up against you know top teams, everything. Um, but we we deserved it, and uh, yeah, unbelievable. Uh, Nifa, he said, the old dogs for the hard road. It's her <laughs> quote, not mine. Uh, I think a combined age of 101 is what we oh, decided lovely. upon of the, yeah, of the yeah, back yeah. three. Yeah, uh, and I'm the I'm the youngest. Well, exactly. That's oh, of course, That's of course. Uh, yeah, you uh, you got a great bond back there. Three yeah. players who've soldiered together a hell of a long time. Yeah, exactly. When you just have, literally, we've played underage together. We've came up to, through the ranks together. You know, Jesus, I don't know how many caps between us we have, and I think it just shows together how we we know. We know each other's strengths. We know each other's weaknesses. We know how to help each other out. Um, you know, cover each other's you know asses all day. And and again, it just showed it there. We were able to 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 do just constantly, just keep everything tight. And and again, just not conceding goals. OTB AM. This is OTB Sports Radio. Barrett for Ireland into the area. Top pocket goal. What a moment! We're going to a World Cup, but it's what dreams are made of. And I hope someone's got the champagne on. You know, I did believe we could do it. After the game, I said, I didn't know what I've just done. I don't know what we've just done. History is made by the Republic of Ireland. They are going to the World Cup Finals. For all the best reactions to the girls in green qualifying for the World Cup, subscribe to the OTB Football podcast stream now. 
Uh, the Carol's been waiting a lifetime to make that promo. And uh, yeah, make sure you tune in and make sure you subscribe to Koi Gig as well. A very special, potentially very long edition of Koi Gig coming your way this afternoon. Uh, it's 17 minutes past eight. I'm delighted to say Mark Wilson is with us. Mark, good morning to you. How are you? Oh, well, I would like to say all good, but I think you were rubbing it in there. A little bit. Um, a little bit. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking maybe we should put this back till tomorrow and we could legitimately just talk about Celtic. But I've got to ask you, uh, yeah, you guys were favourites. We were massive underdogs. And um, I know you were obviously watching the Celtic game. I'd say um, there was a lot of dual screening going on in Ireland. But um, as the game wore on, you missed the penalty. And we had one of the most ridiculous Gomez scrambles you're ever going to see and couldn't score. And certainly from our perspective, it felt like, oh, Jesus, we've seen this, we've seen this movie a lot. But um, I don't know, what's the, what's the response been like in, in Scotland to going out at this stage? Well, obviously not good. It's the second tournament that we've, we've missed out on um, in a row. Uh, you pair that with the men's um, failure to get to the World Cup. It, it's not been ideal, if I'm honest. Um, Look, I must congratulate you and, and how you approached the game and how they set the team out. And the winning goal was was terrific from Amber Barrett. First touch was brilliant, finish was great. And when you can see the goal like that late on in the game at home, you're always going to find it difficult to get yourself back into it. But look, the big moment was, Caroline, we are missing the penalty, of course, but missing the penalty. Of course, it was Courtney Brosnett saved it. So let's give her all the credit because she did her homework. And it's a sore one. A sore one for Scotland women's game, but well done to you. And I guess we'll be supporting you guys now in Australia next year. Uh, you were really close to two tournaments in a row now, but obviously the team is knocking on the door. So there's obviously a lot of good being done in women's football at the moment in Scotland. There is. I think Pedro Martinez Lopez has come in and, you know, he's sort of trans. Uh, transformed the way that the, the Scotland women's team play. I think you can see that with the tendencies at the game, if I'm honest. I mean, Hamden Park last night had 11,000 there. I know we had a bit more for that for a friendly against Jamaica, but it's still a record for a competitive game. I think that tells its own story. If you if you start to get the attendances up, then the public like what they're seeing. Um, look, missing two tournaments, two big tournaments is not ideal, especially having tasted that a couple of years ago. Um, but there's plenty of players to work with there. Um, and of course... The players will be disappointed this morning when they wake up because, you know, that will linger with them all through to, to after next summer's tournament. But going the right way, they're playing some attractive football. It's just the cutting edge that they're missing, creating chances. We can put this to the Celtic game as well last night. All the possession in the world against teams who make it hard for you. But if you don't create chances and don't take chances, you'll end up where where Scotland is and that's sitting at home next year when Ireland will be in Australia and New Zealand um, an excellent segue there Mark I, I appreciate that uh, quality radio broadcasting from you come here what, what happened because as I said like we, I was definitely watching the Ireland game with uh, full attention so uh, it was nil all for ages and I thought okay Celtic are obviously in this but what, what was the, the ebb and flow of the game you said they were missing chances or not taking chances well actually you didn't need to watch the game because it was pretty much a copy of what you've seen before in the Champions League. Celtic start well. They, they create a chance in the opening minutes. Tough one for Maeda, I suppose, but they still don't take it. Allow Leipzig to come into the game. Very good side. And uh, for 20-odd minutes, Leipzig were in top. And then Celtic got a real grip of the game. 
and put Leipzig under pressure. But they missed big chances uh, at, at big moments again. I suppose the pick of that, Kyogo had a, a guilt-edged opportunity in that first half where it was putting a plate from him, for him and um, didn't take it. So they go in nil-nil again and the crowd are, are grumbling a wee bit at that because they, they understand what's cost them in the past in this Champions League group stage. And Leipzig came out the second half a different team. They popped the ball about, they dragged Celtic about the pitch and I just felt at the time that Leipzig score, when Werner scores, you could have seen the goal coming. In, in fact, I was on radio last night. We're live in the studio. Uh, and when you see the go- a goal coming for Leipzig, a minute before the score. and um, You know, I, I don't take any joy in taking credit for that. But I, I did say, you can see a goal coming. And sure enough, 60 seconds later, it's in the back of the net. So... Disappointing, not to stuff in it at Celtic, but again they had chances to score after that um, to make it one-one, and they didn't take them. So another hugely frustrating night for Ange Postecoglou's side. Said that his team aren't far away from being a right good team um, at this level, but at this level it's in both boxes that make you a good team, and Celtic are struggling in both boxes. One to keep it out the net, but certainly another box putting that away. I suppose the disappointing thing, Mark, as well, is that you, you, you see Celtic Park ordinarily as a fortress, but I think that's the seventh home defeat in, in the Champions League for them. Uh, and now it's the Europa League that they, they'll, they'll have to focus on if they can, if they can get that spot. Um, like we, We've talked about Ange Ball and whether they, they need to change change style in Europe, and we spoke about it you know, after the game last week. Does the conversation need to move on from here, or is it is it a case of, OK, we'll give them this year in the Champions League, and maybe next year if they get to the group stages they can build on something? Look, I, I'm a big believer at this stage that you you need to find a balance in, in terms of look, what Ange Postecoglou is doing attack-wise. Not many can criticise. It's the players on the night that don't take the chances. So I don't think you can point that at the manager. But at this level of competition, there's got to be a balance in how you defend as well. And leaving a back four and a goalkeeper really to defend against the world's best players is only going to end in one way. So... I feel there has to be some sort of tweak. Now, I'm not seeing a drastic change in tactics. Uh, and I know that a lot of the Celtic fans are totally against that because they love what they're watching. But you can't you can't love getting walked every week in the, in the Champions League. You know, it's not a good record to have. You just mentioned that they are Celtic. Is it seven on the bounce at home? They've lost in the Champions League. I played at a time that we played against the big guns in the Champions League. And we matched them. We beat them. Now, I wasn't a multi-million pound signing. I signed for 500,000 from Dundee United, but I was playing in a team that that played to a certain style that was effective. So it depends what you want. It depends if Ange Postecoglou, he says, wants to be entertaining and fans off the seat. He's certainly got that. But I guess if he wants to progress this team into the latter stages of the competition, find a better balance defensively. Um, to match his good stuff going forward. We spoke yesterday about, about Ange Postecoglou, how he referenced in the in the press conference during the week that you know it was thirteen games and forty four days for Celtic. Uh, you know, last week they came home from Leipzig, I think, at three a.m. on the Thursday morning. Then they're playing St Johnston in the in the early kickoff on the Saturday. And look, he wasn't using it as a, as an excuse necessarily, but it is an issue because in, in the second half, maybe the Celtic players looked a little bit tired, a little bit leggy. Is that a something that that's going to affect them going forward? Do you think? Well, they've got a big squad. Domestically, they've got 
you know, a bigger squad than anybody else in the country. So mm. you'd like to think it wouldn't, but of course it takes its toll. I think just the style that the manager plays takes its toll on the players within the game anyway. And you see that with, with guys like Kitati and O'Reilly and, you know, Maeda and Kyogo, guys who press constantly for about 60 minutes and then you can see them tiring. Now, you, you add all those games up then in a row, you can see how fatigue would creep in, but look, he's got a huge squad to pick from. My, my complaint on Saturday, actually, in the game against St. Johnson was probably the understudies who are replacing those guys haven't quite quite taken up the mantle, haven't quite um, produced the same quality and, and they need to step up because it is a long season when you are a team like Celtic and a successful team and you get into the Champions League, well, you know what's coming. You know it's going to be a hectic start to the season until Christmas and the break comes and then even after that, the games are going to come thick and fast as well. Um but look, Celtic are now out of the Champions League. They can only set their sights on Europa League. Um, I'm sure Ange Postacoglu will want his squad to be strong enough after Christmas to compete in that competition if they get there. It's going to be difficult to get there from this position. It probably involves getting something significant from a game in Madrid against Real in the last round. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, well, they'd have to beat Shakhtar, obviously, first and foremost, and then hope that they can get something in Madrid and, and something goes their way elsewhere. Not an ideal situation, because before the game, I think there was a level of optimism going on last night that you've seen enough of lights of last week to think that, you know, it's achievable to beat them at home and achievable to beat Shakhtar at home and then hope things go your way and it's second place. But it's just funny how 90 minutes can, can swing your... You're out looking in a Champions League group stage that, you know, it's been an odd one. Some fans will, will look at it and be happy because they've went toe-to-toe with the big guns and they've created loads of chances. I think some fans will see the bigger picture, though, and, and see the amount of goals that have been conceded, the amount of chances that have been conceded, and and not matching that with a killer instinct up top. Um the manager alluded to it last night after the game, saying that that's why teams spend millions and millions of pounds He's right. The top teams will have a guy who will finish those chances off, but it's creating the chances that Celtic will take the positives from. But you know, just in this level of competition, you need to be more compact as a team to to get anything. Um, but look, Europa League is still still realistic, I guess. But Celtic have to find a way of beating Shakhtar at home, which won't be easy, by the way, no. because they went to the Bernabeu and. <laughs> And only lost 2-1 and then last night they were leading up until the 95th minute can yeah. you believe yeah. against Real Madrid so it won't be easy So Real Madrid ended up doing Celtic a favour with that 95th minute equaliser not very romantic for uh, the neutrals hoping for Real Madrid to score against Shakhtar but anyway um, is this a cold dose of reality for Celtic fans and for Ange or will Ange view this as like the steep learning curve that ultimately because it doesn't feel like he's going to change his ways it feels like we're asking him to not be Ange and the thing that makes him great is the thing that makes him bloody minded and you could call it arrogant you could call it naive you could call it he's a dreamer like it's it's going to be very interesting to see what, what he takes away from this experience that like we're on the right track find a striker who can knock that in get a bit luckier with uh, central defensive injuries next season and Presto, we're away, or like you're saying, like develop some form of compaction that allows you to grind out nil alls when you need to. Yeah, well, we'll see next season, won't we? If Celtic make the Champions League, um, you know, you, 
you'll you'll get a, a fair gauge of it then how he sets up his team. Um, now if it's the same again, and he, he goes in against the big guns, and he says, "Look, I'm I'm not changing. I'm going wide open." And they take a couple of thumpings again. Then, yeah, I think people are entitled to question where this is going. Look, for now, it's his first campaign in the Champions League. A lot of these players, um, I think maybe barring James Forrest and Callum McGregor, that's right. It's a lot of their first campaign in the Champions League. So it is a steep learning curve. Um, but it is a fine balance. I think even the top managers sometimes adjust things to, to suit opposition when they go away from home in this competition just to get results I think maybe they, they change their maybe a counter attacking style to, to spring off the back of a defensive shape and it works for some teams whether Ange Postacoglu will ever do that who knows maybe he needs to get better players in that costs an awful lot of money next season we'll be able to judge that for now it has been a a harsh learning curve for these players. I'm, I'm pretty sure they've enjoyed that. I'm pretty sure the fans have enjoyed it, even though they've, they've been beaten uh, and quite convincingly sometimes. But, um, you know, have, have they, they played the same way against Shakhtar? They will win the game against Shakhtar at Celtic Park. Yeah. Did they go the same way in the Bernabeu against Real Madrid, though? I mean, <laughs> that, that's... Uh, no easy task. Uh, and, and look, Mark, it's such a high aggressive press that when you get those chances, you need someone who's going to put the ball in the, on- in the onion bag. Um, like, and I'm putting you slightly on the spot here, but like, are there any strikers out there at the minute that you, that you look at that you think, OK, well, someone like that, or even a type of striker that, that Celtic need at the minute? There's a guy playing for Man City. <laughs> <laughs> he's decent, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, he's all right. I, I think he would do the job. Uh, wait, that's the level. I, I'm, I know I'm joking there, but that's the level you're talking about in this competition. You, you forget that they, this is who Celtic are mixing with. You know, and they'll, they'll go to the Bernabeu uh, at the start of November and they're coming up against Benzema and Vinicius Jr. and guys like that who are extraordinary. And that's who they're playing against. You match up with Jack Marcus and Kyogo. Kyogo's been terrific for Celtic, but he just looks a bit off it at the minute. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Jacques Marcus, well, he'll score you goals probably domestically at this level. I don't know. It takes an incredible amount of money to attract a player in the caliber that if you get a couple of chances to put the majority away at this level with the pressure on you, so that is difficult. It's a harder thing in the game. I know it's a cliche. Everybody says that, but it is. It is true. And I hate seeing that as a defender because I often thought we, we got the raw deal, but the strikers, you know, it is difficult. And the further up the ladder you go, the harder it gets. Um, so, look, the guys Celtic have got at the minute do a good job. And maybe a year in this competition will do them the world of good for next season's competition, should they get there. Mark, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Cheers, Stephen. Thank you. That's uh, Mark Wilson there. Uh, from Super Scoreboard and Radio Clyde, of course, former Celtic defender. It's 8.32 this morning. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Up next, we're going to run through the newspaper reaction to last night's historic World Cup qualification for the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Here is Nathan, though, after the match, chatting with Ireland assist hero Denise O'Sullivan. Enjoy this. I'm honestly speechless. I mean, we're going to a World Cup. It's it's what dreams are made of. I'm very proud of the girls. We dug deep tonight. It's It wasn't pretty and we don't play a pretty style of football, but we got the job done and, and that's all that mattered tonight. You certainly did. Jeez, I think you're a bit harsh on it not being pretty. Like, you created so many opportunities tonight. Like in a World Cup playoff, they're generally very edgy, nervy. You got out there and you expressed yourselves and, and really took the game to Scotland. Yeah, we did. We took it to them and... Um, 
Yeah, we, we pressed in the first half. I think when they got in the ball in the midfield, we just put pressure on them and, and they went long every time, to be quite honest. So they didn't create much. I think we created the, the better opportunities and um, <clears throat> we said before the game that if we win the ball, the counter is going to be on and the spaces are on and that's where the goal came from was Amber Barrett. She was wide open, to be fair, and I just played the ball through. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, we caught him on the break there, but again, speechless. We're going to the World Cup. <laughs> Can't believe it. You played a huge role in that goal as well. We said it in commentary. You could see the little pocket of space for once opening up for you and the weight of the ball was perfect and the first touch from Amber to bring her away. Mm-hmm. You were just waiting for that one moment where it actually have a bit of time in the middle of the pitch. I was, yeah. I didn't get much time before that. So um, I was waiting for that one moment and uh, Fahi was calm and composed, played the ball into me. Um, I just turned, there was no one on me and seeing that pass open and look, that's my, that's my style of play, just playing balls through and playing in behind. And <clears throat> as I said, it was... It was a nice ball into Amber and, and she took it very well and um, great finish from her. The ball went as slow into the net. I was just looking at it for about a minute, but a uh, great finish, yeah. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. I think he's a total spoofer. What do you mean a spoofer? He's a bullshitter. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not yes. no. Right, the, uh, the headlines this morning, the examiner, uh, Amber means go. Ireland going to the World Cup after a historic night in Glasgow. That's the uh, post-goal celebration. This is the post-match celebration. We've done it, Ireland. Ecstatic Ireland seal their World Cup spot on night of incredible drama. It's the Irish Daily Mail. Mark Gallagher's match report from Hamden. Uh, Braveheart. Barrett dedicates win to Creaselaw after her goal sends Ireland to World Cup. That's a great picture over there with the armband. Um, just kind of shoot everybody away to make sure that uh, it gets done. But this is my favourite picture. Amber lights up World Cup where there's just that oh it's going in oh it might be going in just the look on her face and the look on the keeper's face because they both know what's about to happen <laughs> we're going to the World Cup they're not and Amber's like yep just that there's no speech at that moment time stood still in that yeah, photograph yeah exactly that is the like <clears throat> I remember writing a, a sixth year or third year English uh, essay in my English what are you talking about? The train doesn't inch towards you. It all happens in a split second. I'm telling you, her brain is working so fast. This is like slowly, slowly, slowly. But actually, in reality, yeah. the goal happens like that. Oh, but not in her way. head, because she's a genius. That's something she must have practiced so many times as well. Like she knew where it was And that's actually the difference. That's earlier. There's like, the, this is this is like little stop go animation. The Herald and the Indo pick slightly different pictures. <laughs> to reward you for buying both papers. Uh, this is for Creasler. This is for Donegal Ireland hero Barrett. Pow hails her Tigers after making World Cup history in playoff. Uh, now Amber means go is the back page headline. Barrett winner sends Irish girls to World Cup and Donegal star pays tribute to victims of Creasler disaster. It's the back page of the Mirror and there's pictures in the change room as well. And then uh, Wales and Scotland's World Cup hopes ended who ended who ended as Guardian what they were ended yeah accidentally by somebody plucky no. Irish uh, so that is um, the Switzerland goal oh thanks lads yeah cheers yeah thanks lads we'll, we'll remember this and uh, the Telegraph no mention uh, it's Obama Yang Raducanu of course and uh, there's an 18 year old leg spinner who they're picking <laughs> do, we, do we make do we Telegraph at all Probably the inside pages. No. Nothing? Ah, sure. We don't need them, Jer. We don't need them. England played the Czech Republic in a friendly. No, News. I'm still looking. No, no, no. The, uh, the social media scenes as well, just 
crazy, crazy celebrations, and like the the videos from from the airport as well. Like the the, the staff at Dublin Airport, probably two or three in the morning. I think was that. I, I actually didn't see any of that. Yeah, I think so. And and just the players kind of taking turns coming off the plane and getting cheered. And <laughs> that was the thing that if um, if it had gone to extra time, there was no flight. So they to yeah. to make the flight, the game had to be done in full time, and uh, otherwise they would have been staying in Scotland. <clears throat> um, James McCullough, some of your comments coming through. Last night was amazing. I can't wait to watch the games with my daughter next summer. Should the FAI have a pre-World Cup friendly at the Aviva on the same day as the men's Gibraltar game? Uh, hashtag Koi Gig. I think they, they, they're standalone. Um, like, we were all very strong that keep Tala as a fortress. Make sure everybody shows up who gets tickets. Right, that's the, the first thing there. And I can still see you doing that, but you could definitely have like a glamour friendly against the Yanks or whoever. Or, yeah, or England, England. Yeah. or like any of the big teams, um, and I'm I'm already looking at the like I think the we don't have long to wait for the for the draw. I think it's in ten days time for the World Cup groups. Ireland in pot three, and a lot of people saying on Twitter last night that probably the best case scenario was getting drawn with New Zealand and Denmark, um, and maybe the worst case could be USA Brazil as a first and second seed. But like it's all exciting regardless. I'd love USA and Brazil. Wouldn't it be yeah. amazing? Makes it interesting, wouldn't it? But it will be nice to get out of the group, you know, like. Which, as, as Sue Ronan said, is a distinct possibility. I given think we could draw nil all with those two teams, and then yeah. Yeah. are they fourteen groups? I presume they are. Yeah, it's it's gone from twenty four to thirty two teams. Okay, so, so it's traditional. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, the finish reminded me of Romario. Delighted for them, says Brian Fitzgerald. This will be massive for Irish football in general. Massive kudos to all that came before. Hashtag Koi gig. Shifty lad. I wonder how many loans will be taken out of the credit union for cough housing upgrades next summer. What an amazing first touch with her left foot and two touches on her right for the goal. Jack2022 says, what a night. Aaron Gilmartin says, amazing achievement. My eight-year-old daughter has been captivated by the team and loves to watch the women's team play. They've made history and will inspire a young nation. Top class goal. Pick that out, ye Scots, says Danny Mac1. Those enormous long throw-ins will be fun to watch in the big stage next summer, says Gary Jackson. Um, yeah, we like definitely... Just run in and touch it somehow. Just get just anything. Hurl, hurl your arse at it if you have to. Yeah, yeah. Any touch. Like the shifty lads comment about the, uh, the, the people people taking out loans, credit union. Like the thing is, this isn't a, a soulless sports washing World Cup in Qatar. No, this is a World Cup Go in for us. New Zealand, where there's yeah. Irish people over there anyway yeah. who'd be looking for an excuse. Never mind the droves of people that are going to fly over. But anybody who was on the fence about going to Australia next summer for the year out is like, uh, well, mind no, made it'd, up. It'd be rude not to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, class first touch by Barrett serious pace and cool finish iconic says James F it, like it it is instant classic <laughs> instantly iconic no one ever takes that away from you you scored the goal that got us to the World Cup for the very first time ever like it's a massive breakthrough moment Richard Redball says I think the whole country had a group cry at that Vera Tony O'Donoghue interview uh, well then they ramped it up uh, further when Amber Barrett came over and did hers and I just I can't get over how amazing a communicator she is and how just like in the moment she was so of the moment to talk about everything that she was able to speak about and to verbalise her own connection to Chrysler and the discovery last week of the horror that was unfolding and then the week that she'd had to be able to go and then perform the way she did and afterwards explain all of that in a way that made everybody feel okay I understand perfectly now the context of everything that's just yeah. happened she's so articulate and well spoken and as you said she contextualised everything that had happened in the previous week um, which which is remarkable in, in that moment that you, that you can stand there and, and think that way but that's one of the great things about, about this team they are, a lot of them are great communicators they're very open with interviews they've made themselves role models because 
they're putting themselves out there doing these interviews and uh, you know making themselves household names and by next summer they're going to be even more so yeah and in a way some some generation had to be the one that was going to drag the sport into the mainstream and uh, insist that the sponsors were getting value for money and so therefore the sponsors would continue to come like that's all that's all like proper trailblazers yeah you know well look what happened to the Irish women's hockey team in, in 2018 I mean they became household names like before that could you have named many of the Irish women's hockey team probably not now a lot of people can uh, so similarly in, in this in this, it's just going to go to the next level the interest was already spiralling upwards but now it's just going to rocket launch off Oh McManus says Vera Powell deserves huge credit for taking this team to the next level how many Irish teams in the past would have wilted under that pressure towards the end mm. after going one up it's true it's true <laughs> no, they just not Scotland on uh, quite a bit there was definitely a few nervy moments in the end you're like maybe we should just push out a little bit maybe we should try and get on the ball uh, it's 8.42 John Duggan is with us John Jaron Shane how are we doing how are you doing great Absolutely buzzing after that last night. You were you were immediately in contact with uh, the credit union Twitter account last night. They I was. Were like, did you see that? Did you? They yeah. replied to you as well. Well, I was. Uh, I'm just obsessed now with these songs on Instagram. So I timed the uh, full time to play Down Under on Man, my Instagram. Worked. Yeah, yeah. And then put it up on Twitter as well. So I've, I'm just kind of messing around with that at the moment because I kind of find that kind of stuff funny. But um, yeah, and then I put out credit union loan, and then the credit union started coming back to me on Twitter. So it's kind of funny. But I really just think it's a game changer, folks. If these players are not on billboard already, they will be. They are billboard, in inverted commas. And I'm just thinking they're going to create great new memories for the young people of Ireland. Uh, boys and girls. And It's such a good place to have a World Cup. Yeah. like, like I, it's, you know, I actually think that getting up early in the morning is a really good thing for young families. Because it's going to be like, it's a bit like Christmas, Santa Claus. It'd be kind of, well, it's four o'clock, you're woken up in the morning or five o'clock in the morning. Like, come on, get up, get up, we're going to watch the game. A bit like the Olympics in Kelly Harrington, that kind of. Can thing. We have all the nine AM kickoffs, though. <laughs> Please, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. going to be fry ups. It's going to be bunting. It's going to be tricolor out the window. If you're like under twenty five years of age, you will not have remembered a football World Cup in this country. It, it is uh, like Owen uh, tweeted yesterday that there's the TV being rolled into the uh, rolled into the cl- uh, school classroom. Everyone remembers that. I remember that for Robbie Keane's goal against Germany, for example. So it is going to be that. I think that's what maybe gives it the extra element. They're the getting up early in the morning. The Russian hats, uh, John. Obviously, in, in the twenty eighteen Russian World Cup, you had the Russian hat, which is now famous. I can see you in, a, in an Australian bush hat. Ah, uh, no, I won't be going. There'll be other people much doesn't more. Doesn't mean, you, you, just, even if you're not going, you can still wear the bush hat, John. Yeah, there'll be people much more deserving uh, in, in off the ball to go down to go down under. But uh, I just think that like it's pubs opening a little bit earlier. Um, it, it's, it's just a buzz. Uh, like I was going through the teams in the World Cup here, like China, uh, New Zealand, South Korea, Japan, Philippines, Vietnam, South Africa, Morocco, Zambia, Nigeria, USA, Canada, Jamaica, Costa Rica, Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, Sweden, Spain, the Dutch, England, Denmark, Norway, Italy, Germany, France, and Switzerland, and ourselves. Yeah. And, you know, who we're going to face after the week in the draw. All this kind of stuff. All the excitement about it. The, the build-up. The, like, I just think it's, it's just so exciting. And we were, we're a difficult team to beat. It's an easy thing to say when you're winning, but there's an air of, there's an intangible air of belief about this team. A bit like the Jack team when I was a young lad. I always felt we'd find a way. And I kind of feel, having watched this whole campaign, we kind of find a way to get it over the line. And we might be able to do that at the World Cup at the group stage. And who knows then? Well, unlike like the playoff where, where the build-up to this Scotland game was torturous and, and really hard for everyone, fans, players alike, the build-up to the World Cup is going to be thoroughly enjoyable. 
Like there's no there's no nerves there's no nothing. It, it's, well, I mean, you know, well, unless, we, unless we go to Saipan, let's not. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. As, we, as it gets Tasmania closer, Tasmania or somewhere or the Cook Islands or. We, we have decided to go to the far side of the planet because there's uh, cheap accommodation there and uh, rock hard pitches and uh, oh, all of a sudden our best player has been. Like, what? No, Katie, no, no. Touch wood, touch wood, it doesn't happen. Yeah, so bring it on. Yeah, we, uh, look, we should we should counter chickens in this because we've surely learned, right? There are enough. Yeah. The 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 memory within our race is deep. Like, no, we're going to go somewhere expensive and good, <laughs> and close to fans, and they're going to hang out with the fans a little bit, and then the fans will go away, and then we'll all have a good time. Well, as Sue Ronan said, that the financial support is going to be there for this team now because they've achieved something, and because uh, you know everyone likes a bandwagon, and uh, financially, hopefully, the bandwagon is huge, which I think it will be. I think there'll be a lot of support there for this team. Um, They'll be travelling in style. They'll be treated very well in, in advance of the World Cup and over there as well. So uh, no stone left unturned. Well, there'll be a lot of flights, you'd have to think, as well, because you're talking about Perth, you're talking about Brisbane, talking about Melbourne, talking about Sydney, you talk about like, places in New Zealand as well. So it's not going to be a Friday combi uh, kind of World Cup, to quote the Men at Work lyric. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's like a van, isn't it? It's okay. Like a fr- Friday van. What Joxer would have been in. Yeah, yeah, it's not Joxer goes to Perth and then, you know, you're, you're going through, I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot of people, there's going to be a lot of Joxers <laughs> who are down there uh, in a little... from Sydney to Melbourne? How long, is it, how long is it from Sydney to Melbourne in, well, in a car? I'll tell you now, John, you just keep talking. Could you, could you make it for, like, uh, the first game and the third game? Possibly, yeah. Yeah, that'd be an adventure, wouldn't it? Be like the David Bowie Let's Dance movie. Uh, you know. Nine hours, 11 minutes, perfect. No, that's, ah, that's totally doable. Perfect, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. 877 kilometres, that's doable. That's a lot of... Um, Really good sound. You stop off on the way in Summer Bay, right? Yeah, yeah. Have a few or four X's, and like, yeah, like it's all it's all the headlines. It's um, um, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of some. I'm trying to think of some puns, but I can't. <laughs> yes. I was, I was Philly Egan outside. I was going quality. Uh, that was one. Yeah. Just yeah. don't. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't handle this truth. <laughs> Yeah, that's when we crash out on penalties, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If we make it to penalties, like, I don't know. I, yeah, I, at this stage, it's, we're just happy to be there. Yeah, and it's just who we face. And I just <clears> like the, the, the dates. Uh, it's, I think, to the 20th of July to the 20th of August next year. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's late, um, late summer and uh, obviously kind of winter there. 20th of July to the 20th of August. Like, basically... There is nothing else on. Don't worry, the all arms will be over. Well, I was going to say, it's, 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 feeling, it's nestling nicely into that bit where there's nothing else on in yeah. Irish sports. As someone who has been the weekend producer and off the ball for a while, I, I know that that period is, is, is quite torturous. You know yourself, John, that uh, trying to fill Great shows from July to August can be quite tough because there's not much happening. But they've saved us. They've saved us for a full month and even in advance for the build-up we can, we can talk about it. Like, it's just... And that's the thing as well, like, and Sue mentioned it, the fact that we've played bigger teams in friendlies and Vera Pau has specifically gone out to get friendlies against bigger teams. I mean, they don't fear these bigger teams. They're, they're, they're used to playing them, so, so they're going to win the World Cup. We have some breaking news. Koigig are planning on getting a van. It was talked about on last week's episode and it was confirmed in their WhatsApp group last night. Emma Byrne is at the wheel. So, that's our song. <laughs> Uh, right uh, in the office earlier we had it from Amber to Green as a headline I don't know nobody got that I, I, put, I put that on Twitter last night I did just, you? Uh, yeah, no yeah. one picked it up I said Green for Amber and I put that out at um, uh, 2133 so there you go it was a weird one you're just giving the, the good shit away for nothing on, on well, what well, are these sub editors doing that they're not following you I'm, I'm, I'm all well I'm all off the ball round on my Twitter so um, I probably tweet out the, the videos about a thousand times so. um, 
it was a strange premonition. I had a strange weird. Now I I thought Kerry Caruso and I said it on Twitter would get it would come off the bench and get a winner. I thought someone was going to come off the bench and get a winner. Ten to seven last night, an hour and ten minutes before kickoff. I was googling Amber Barrett. I have the proof on my phone. I don't know why I was googling Amber Barrett, but we're not we're not checking your search history. It worked. It worked. Nothing. Um, nothing Positive manifestation. What is that jersey, by the way? What is that? It's an old retro. Um, I don't know where where I got it from. It's like it's almost like a half Northern Ireland. It does have Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah, it is yeah. Northern Ireland, is it? With no, the no, Ireland no, logo. It's, it's Republic. Uh, Northern Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a quality. I just decided to wear green today because I wore uh, blue inadvertently yesterday, not thinking about the Scotland match. So uh, this was my mea culpa for doing that. So yeah. Well, I suppose yeah. I'm, I'm, I shouldn't have come in wearing a Tottenham jersey, and I didn't. So it's a good thing. Um, that we're playing tonight. Uh, Julian Lopetegui that was the news that yeah, came through in the middle last happening. night it's not happening uh, Kylian Mbappe's relationship with PSG seems to have soured significantly like I Liverpool thought- has been mentioned again did you see Klopp by the way and Diddy Hamman that was good fun no what happened uh, he got narky at a question um, at the Liverpool press conference out of the Rangers game where some one of the journalists asked him so Diddy Hamman says that you lack a spark and he goes uh, Diddy Hamman and just like, he didn't like it. Didn't like it at all. He's got scoffed at like Diddy Hammond and uh, then says, well, maybe you should be asking your own questions. I don't think Diddy, Diddy Hammond deserves to be asking a question here. Oh, wow. Uh, so he's, he's, getting, uh, he's getting frustrated. I, he I is. Feel. He's, he's a very the, interesting character when he's narky. Yeah, and he's, he's, he's the same Dublin Scorpy. There's, there's darkness there. There's a big strain of darkness that comes out. It flashes and sometimes. And, and, you know, you, you, as a journalist, you wouldn't, you know, you'd be feeling a bit like Ferguson-esque. It's a bit, ooh, a bit intimidating to be yeah. talking to Klopp. He has that aura of, whoa, you know. What's the comeback going to be like? Yeah, the yeah, comeback yeah, will be great. Yeah. I, I think I, and he always is at the water as well. He's always like filling with the water when he's doing when he's like absolutely destroying you in the press conference. Can I just mention that uh, before we move on, that's a comment from uh, a regular commenter, Bobby Dwyer, uh, of course, a Spurs fan. Amber Barrett with her David Beckham moment, stepping up to her world-class moment of bringing her country to the World Cup. I think that uh, rings true. Yeah, so Liverpool without Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, Joel Matip and Luis Diaz tonight against Rangers, 8 o'clock start in the Champions League. They should be OK. And Spurs play Eintracht Frankfurt at uh, the new White Hart Lane. No Dulan Kulisevsky. He's not fit. Short shrift from uh, John there. Yeah, uh, not having it. Fair play. Celtic need a couple more attackers. Very reliant on Jota. Um, Maiden not good enough at that level. Have I butchered his surname pronunciation? Who's was it? No, that doesn't matter now. You got it right, you got it right, yeah. Uh, Red Go Scotland first. says, We, Celtic, have went from favourites to at least finish third to being out. This is not progress. Uh, but they're in they're they're in the arena, as John would say. I think that like Celtic I, I think that Celtic are on a journey and uh, there are gonna be mad setbacks along the way. But you've got to have faith because you've got an evil genius in, in charge. And he's like, ah. No patience in football though, Jar. Well, for fans uh, or uh, owners. But he's he's there he's there Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, and so there are going to be setbacks. You're going to lose. Like, does everyone remember like Jurgen Klopp lost all the finals at the start? And like, oh, he can't win. He can't win. It's just won the league and then won the Champions League. It's like can't win. Jurgen Klopp, though, he is Liverpool. Like he is. He's the manifestation of Liverpool. Yeah. He is the brand identity. All right, John, good stuff. All right, lads, mind yourselves. Thanks a million. Um, here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Catherine Switzer, very appropriate uh, trailblazer herself, with the first woman to run the Boston Marathon gets um, dragged off in the middle of the race it's a brilliant brilliant interview if you haven't heard that tune into OTV Sports Radio today at 1 o'clock uh, Koi Gig our reaction to qualifying for the World Cup make sure you stay tuned for that live from 3 our retro panel is How to Fail at 4 and then James McLean at 6 o'clock is OTV Gold and the show is live tonight with Joe we'll have loads more reaction to Ireland heading to the World Cup Nathan will be back his voice may have recovered uh, he certainly lived up to his moment last night uh, calling that goal as well you can follow us across our social channels subscribe to the OTV Podcast Network for the best in the latest sports content we're back after these with Keith Wood telling us about the best 15 players that he played against at international level before that Vera Pau 
and Ashing O'Reilly. Enjoy this. <laughs> what did you say, Vera? Tell me you. We got two World Cups, so who cares? <laughs> Just sum it up for me. Like, this is incredible scenes out there on the pitch. Girls in tears, their families in tears. I was in tears. You were in tears. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't believe I just I couldn't believe it. I thought that game, every second I was watching my watch. And, and well, it's just their tigers. I don't know where they're coming from. But <laughs> if they set them, themselves a mindset that this is what we're going to do, we buy into the game plan, we believe in the game plan that we had set, and um, yeah, they will go for it. We had said this game is about one defensive moment and one attacking moment. Going to close and talk to me about half time. You went in at half time knowing that all you needed to do was score to win the game and then you're true to the World Cup. Did you tell the team? Yes, of course, because they, they knew had to know it. They had to know because that gives that little bit of extra to even when you, you cannot anymore to get that little toe extra. And um, yeah, we deliberately said it and then we said this is 45 minutes, this is our moment. This is, we deserve it, this is our moment. There's no other team going to the World Cup than we. OTB AM. Keith Wood, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. Um, I'll be a bit confused with this, Chara. St- I've struggled with it a little. It's been interesting. Uh, I understand Colin Buick ruined your day yesterday when he texted you wondering, would you have a think about this? It's, uh, it's a good piece and we'd like to do it with you. And you're like, okay. But then all of a sudden your brain took over and, um, and you got busy. Well, it was it was it was Monday, and it ruined Monday afternoon. I had an awful lot of work on, and all I could think about was this bloody list. But um, I have thought about it a fair bit over the last period of time because of the international rugby experience that's been built in Limerick, um, and they do have an element for this for people to be able to build their own best ever fifteen. They've two hundred and seventy or eighty players that are linked over the last number of years so you can kind of build your own one out but it's funny when we were building all those names in I never fully got my head around building my own which was kind of interesting and then it's whatever criteria you decide you want to use and I'm I'm not a huge fan of lists so um, it's what's the most appropriate team are they the best performances that have happened are they the best players that spanned a career are they guys that I played with on the international field or against them or the best pure individual performance? You know, I, it's hard. And there was guys that were playing when, when I was playing that I didn't play against and I haven't put those in either. And that's been, that was kind of difficult because some of those players were just extraordinary. So it's, yeah, it put me in a little bit of a spin on Monday. Okay, well, good. Nice to start the week in a way that gets the old uh, synapses firing and the little grey cells working. Um what were your own criteria then? So you didn't include anybody you hadn't actually played against on the field of play, is that? I didn't. I have them kind of on, a, on they're on the list because they, they're all, some of them are worth a mention. I think if, if I take one in particular, um, and I was trying to make certain that I hadn't played against him, but I don't think I played against Laurent Caban, um, but I did play with him and he was one of the top three or four players I played with in, in my whole career. He was a French wing forward. He, apart from the fact he was unbelievably good crack, um, he had he had a talent that was almost embarrassing. He was so good. He was very slight, had been in a, a car accident when he was younger, couldn't do a huge amount of weights, 
but could do things on a rugby field that I've never seen anybody else be able to do. So, wow. and he isn't, and he isn't on the list. He's he's in my sort of further reaches, but he he d- doesn't make the team because I I don't think I played against him. So, um, I have one more. I think I'll talk about actually same position. Um, Richard Hill, who I played against often, and he played six for England. Um, but when he played seven for the Lions. I thought he was the best seven I ever played with. Wow. He was truly, truly amazing. But he doesn't make it either. So that's a little bit frustrating. And I've also taken the view of players who were who were excellent but may not have got the credit that they deserved, but their quality all the time was amazing. So I think it starts with that. Actually, that's the easiest way to go is to start at one, which I went with Tom Smith. Um because now I played with Tom on in five lines tests and uh, he was never considered such a huge star for the very simple reason he wasn't a huge man and there were far bigger guys and you had Oz Durant who was there and Christian Califano who I played against often who was quite extraordinary but Tom seemed never to make a mistake ever and was so unbelievably consistent but fought against the challenge of I've been half the size of some of the guys he was against. I mean, he was extraordinary. So I, that's like that's. So my criteria are all mixed up, without a shadow of a doubt. I think it's a really good team um, in my time, but I, um, uh, yeah, I know that the, everybody has their own opinion. Everybody's going to come with their own one uh, in relation to it. But Tom was magic. It, it is a pretty good team. I'll get to that one second. So just for anybody who's who's watching and is unfamiliar, what's the era here? What what are the years that are qualifying for you? And the years to qualify for me are I joined the Ireland squad in 92. Um, so actually, um, 92, I, I played from 94 to 2003. So there were some pretty stunning players in that period of time. I also included a Babas game. We played South Africa in 94 because some of the players that played on that day were just off the chart, but were off the chart in terms of maybe the history of the game as well. Okay. I I was wondering, what? what, 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 And then I'm like, ah, okay, Mm -hmm. I see why. So Tom Smith is is your number one. And uh, on, on the list of other potential number ones, there were loads of other great players. But when you were playing against Tom Smith, what was that like? Um, it was kind of the joy of playing with him and the joy of playing against him was almost flip sides of, of a coin. He never said anything ever at any stage. So you never knew whether you had him under pressure. Um, you never knew whether anything was going against uh, against him in any way, shape or form. He bore his roles and responsibilities at scrum time in particular with total silence. So he never seemed to be under pressure. He never showed any pain in any way, shape, or form. He had the most extraordinary hands. Lens. I mean, if there was a if there was a player from from my era that would suit the way um, expansive rugby is going now, it was Tom Smith. He had the best. He had the most extraordinary hands. And I was telling a story the other day that was kind of a criticism against a couple of scrum halves. And someone said they thought because I was watching it with Tom Smith, they thought that um, I was going to tell the story that Tom went into scrum half to pass the ball the 25 yards because he had that skill set. So um, it's it was the consistency of 
like no people can be consistent and not consistently good he was consistently fantastic all the time he just didn't make any mistakes so to have a player like that in the front row was was extraordinary Tom of course passed away at a very reasonably young age as well Keith earlier this year like yeah um, uh, sad to see that and but a lot of the tributes that came in and I was just reading one there from from uh, from when he passed away one of the great props of all time so even if you hadn't played against him you probably have him up there as 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 one of the great props well he played five tests lines tests in a row six sorry six lines tests in a row and um, um, you know, in the front row, that's incredible. That's just incredible. And um, look, I always said it, so I'll go back to something. There's obviously nostalgia in in, in terms of this, but uh, having toured with him in '97 and then having not played with him but played against him for the for the four years in between, and then playing with him again in in uh, 2001. It was just incredibly comfortable. There was no issue. It was as if we'd been playing together for the for the four years in between. It was as if, yeah, he knew exactly what I needed, and he just did. He just did his job incredibly well. Yeah, he's a good fella. I think that's the other thing. I know he's a patron yeah. of charities and, and uh, gave of his time willingly. And you know, we probably won't spend as long talking about everybody else. We we definitely could, but I I do know that he was a good fella too. Oh, yeah, sure. He was class. He was my roommate for um, for a lot of the Lions tours, so I got used to him. Um, I think I described it when he di- when when he passed away that there's one person who wouldn't shut up and the other person never spoke at all. So we're <laughs> perfect roommates. But um, yeah, um, yeah, pretty magic guy. Uh, Ledesma, Mario Ledesma, and Jason Leonard are the are the rest of that front row. Talk to us about them. Well, um, Ledesma for me, it's like I played against him a good bit in Argentina. He was vying with Federico Mendes. Um, for me, Mendes was stronger. It was, it was like he was a beast. He was a prop. But actually, if you put pressure uh, on him for striking, he wasn't comfortable. Um, unfortunately for Ledesma, there was nothing you could do to put him uh, to put him off in terms of the scrum, and I thought that would became very important in terms of this. Um, he was. I, I mean, I played a, a cup final against him. They were playing Nabon Challenge Cup. Um, he was playing for Nabon, and I actually didn't recognise my wife after the game, and it was out of pure unadulterated fatigue, having played eighty minutes um, against him in the front row. Now I did play. And 30 minutes extra time um, in the back row that day and that was another reason for it but um, I hated playing against him he's a, he's a, he's a, another really good guy but I hated playing against him um, because of that pressure and on the list of guys I have there I'd Phil Kearns in there I'd Ibanez in there John Schmidt uh, Mark uh, Del Masso and I also had Garen Jenkins who uh, a lot of guys may not know enough of but he was the hardest guy I ever scrummed against. He was very short and very difficult to play against. But Ledesma, for me, tops it. Uh, for Jason, I went for Jason because he plays on both sides of the scrum. I played with him and against him. I played with him with for Quinns and for the Lions. Um, but we played side by side for seven years with Harlequins. Um, but he was... Like, he started at 20 years of age playing for England and went all the way through the old style of, of, of rugby with um, with Dooley and Dean Richards and all that guys from England, that hard side, all the way into the professional one, um, to playing on the lines, to, to um, playing in a World Cup, to winning a World Cup. Um, yeah, I thought he, he fit the bill. 
I had Ola Brown in there as well, which some of the older listeners would remember, but he was at the very end of his career. So I never got to see him at his absolute best when I played against him. Okay. Uh, the second row, Martin Johnson and John Eales. That's not bad. <laughs> no, I think, you know, like Jono was a, the best captain I ever played um, with or against. I also think his performance as a second row in the World Cup final in 2003 was the best performance. Um, I was going to say the best performance I've ever seen by a second row, but then you look at John Eales, whose nickname was Nobody because Nobody's Perfect. Um, I still am stunned when I look at him with his huge feet, uh, kicking conversions and penalties from all over the field for Australia. When they brought in line-out lifting, he often said, no, I don't like being lifted. I can jump high enough on my own. So when you were throwing into the line-out against Australia, you would have a pot at the front, a pot at the back, and John Eales at six foot nine or ten, jumping on his own almost to the same height. It was almost impossible to win the ball. And that's my excuse. I'm sticking to it if I can. But um, ah, he was it, just extraordinary. Now, both of those guys captained their teams as well to win World Cups. I think that's another reason. But both leaders, Keith, like is certain positions here as well. Do you notice personality traits that are that are quite similar? Like I, I know John and, and Martin, both both leaders. But do you notice that generally speaking, from former teammates, that certain positions nearly have personality traits? Uh, well, I think I think Martin would be an enforcer. I don't think John Eales would be. Mm. Uh, uh, Martin was not the the most chatty. Um, would have relied on other guys around him to do that. Um, his level of of um, of aggression was fantastic, but equally well, I think he he grew as a leader as he got older. I mean, he he was made captain of the lines in '97. He wasn't English captain at the time. Lawrence Delalio was, um, <clears throat> and that was the decision that was made by Ian McGeekin. And he was the right he was the right man for it, you know. And I, there are traits definitely, but whether they go for position or for people, I think it's more for people. Mm. Uh, your back row, right, is Ruben Kruger, Francois Pinar, and Zinzan Brook. Who's Ruben Kruger? Uh, Ruben Kruger was um, well. My first introduction to Ruben Kruger was in the Babas against South Africa in uh, 1994. He actually broke my nose, so I know that I have a picture of him holding my jersey. And his next, the next movement is. A bit of a swingy arm, and he broke my nose. Uh, Ruben was, um, he was this tough teak um, um, six or seven, and South Africa often used six as an open side, not a, not a, not a blind side. Um, but he was uh, central to that South African team at that period of time. And so I played against him for three or four years. Uh, he was an incredibly good guy. Another guy who sadly passed away. Um, uh, incredibly tough, hard, um, you know, of that time. And actually, when I looked at this by picking both Kruger and Francois Pinar, I, I was kind of picking... That's maybe some of the criteria or the latitude that I've taken is the idea of having players that were great at that moment in time, even though there happened to be other great players I may have played against later on in my career. Um, those two seem to stand out for me. Now, I could have gone for Andre Venter as well in the back, and we've already talked about Caban and Richard Hill or Michael Jones. I just never got the chance to play against Michael Jones, and he was spectacular. Um I did play with and against Dave Wilson for Australia. He was very good. And I played against Richie McCaw a couple of times at the very start of his career. I played in his first cap. 
Um, and of course, Richie went on to be one of the all-time greats, of course. But I still felt there was something at that moment and that time that those two players together seemed to be phenomenal in Kruger and Pienaar. That actually, I think, Keith highlights how seriously you're taking this criteria. So a broken nose from Ruben Kruger and you still pick him in the team. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, but I thought he was. I thought he was. I just thought he was class. Um, and Pienaar, of course, I think there is the iconic imagery of uh, of Mandela in in um, in in Francois's number six jersey in '95. Um, uh, I spent a bit of time with Francois. Uh, he's he's still statesmanlike in many in many respects. Um, but I do think that that was a defining moment in in you know in my rugby career was was that idea of of that history of that coming together for 95 how good a player was pinar pinar was a he's a, he's still an incredibly big man i mean it's quite hard to to you know cuz we all diminish as we we get older you know and uh, he still is a big bear of a man um, I think he was cut short. I think that's another reason. I think he could have played for a good few years longer and didn't. And um, but we saw him. Um, I'm, I'm, I played against him a fair bit when he was with Saracens as, as well. Um, and he was he was very impressive. Uh, Zinzan Brook is your, your number eight. Um, am I right? I have in my head that Zinzan Brook was another man who liked to kick an owl drop goal. Well, he could put them over, which was one of the great joys of, of Zinni. Um, I look, I played with and against Zinni um, for a lot. Um, he was the most outrageously talented player. Um, uh, he has said subsequently that he learned all his skills playing Gaelic football. Um, he was best friends with the McCahills, uh growing up outside Auckland when when they were um, when they were growing up and they played Gaelic football constantly and he played all the time and that's where he thinks he got all his hand-eye coordination and and skills and I wouldn't doubt him. Um, he was just he's a total sports billy, but he would make the right decision. I mean, the drop goal he got against I think it was England in the semi-final in the World Cup in '95 on the hoof from 45 yards straight over the bar. I mean, that's uh, Joan Alomo caused carnage that day, but that was the nail in the coffin. I think the new interviews in sound for us, Keith, around the 2019 Rugby World Cup at one point as well in Dublin. Yeah, uh, yeah, certainly. So, is um, like we used to bets over who'd get the um, the next drop goal when we played for Queens <laughs> together, which uh, I will admit, and I admitted then I think that I won that bet, but he never paid me, so I'm I'm holding out for that one definitely. Um, I managed to scoop a dead a dead duck of a drop goal over against Northampton but um, yeah he did it on the international stage he did it with comfort he practiced all day every day he just um, everybody would talk about him being natural he was natural because he was first out to training he may not have been the fittest at the end of his career and he wasn't but he was still able to get a ball to bounce whatever way he wanted to because he practiced it all the time Your halfback partnership is George Gregan and Stephen Larkham um, That's the one now where I struggle on myself now. I really struggle because I struggle with not picking Johnny Wilkinson, um, though I loved Andrew Mertens. I loved, and again, he was very old school. Um, and I always thought he was kind of a boring sort of guy until I met him, and he's the least boring guy you'll ever meet. <laughs> um, but George Gregan and Stephen Larkham, like George and I are the same age. Um, he, uh, his... 
Durability at nine, it was extraordinary. I'd say he could still play today if you asked him. Um, he's in unbelievable condition. Um, but Stephen Larkham, with that Australian team, I think it originally came from the the sort of philosophies of, of Bob uh, Bob Templeton back back in the eighties. Um, but that ability to play and see and um, run different lines from anybody else were truly extraordinary, and the pair of them were look. They broke my heart on 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 many occasions, um, on every occasion actually. That's the reason they get picked. They were um, they were absolutely phenomenal. Um, I only managed to beat Australia once, and that was with the Lions, and uh, which is a, a horrible statistic. Um, and they were at central to that for 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 all of it, pretty much. Um, Larkham in particular used ghost. Um, and it was before the fully structured defensive line. And if there was the hint of a gap, he had an ability to kind of accelerate on a sort of obscure line um, and ghost into a, a space and always have somebody outside him. And look, when we go to the centres, I could have had the two uh, Australian centres at the same time because they were world class at that stage. But I haven't because I've decided to go for something a bit different. Okay, so just to some of the other players at, at nine and ten that are close but not actually on the list: Justin Marshall, Rob Howley, Yusvan de Vestes, and, and Fabian Galtier are the scrum halves. The other I'd have you mentioned Mertens, Johnny Wilkinson doesn't yeah. make it. It's um, he was he was pretty good. Yeah, Johnny was extraordinary. But again, it was in 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 the time that. Look, and I toured with with Johnny and uh, and I played with him and against him. But uh, in terms of a pure line breaker 10, which um, I don't always like that, but, you know, for a guy that sets the place on fire, Stephen Larkham and, and George Gregan, and I put them together. And I also decided for, I didn't do this on every one of them. In fact, I, I absolutely didn't, but I did go for a nine and 10 who knew each other perfectly. Yeah. Um, so Johnny will, um, whether he cares or doesn't care or not, will be upset or not, you know. But uh, I'm actually, that was the hardest one for me, was the uh, Stephen Larkham or Johnny Wilkins. Yeah, I can see why. Uh, like, it's, they're, they're very different players. And maybe if it was for a long campaign, you might pick Johnny Wilkinson. But like, if it's Space Jam, as we said, the aliens are coming and you need to beat them, I might stick Larkham in there because he's going to do something and nobody's going to have a clue what, it's, what it is. What about Van der Vesthuizen? Um because there was like again I'm sure there were scrum halves before him who were as strong and as tall and of that athletic profile um, but there haven't been a heap of them you know traditionally the scrum half would have been more Gregan's shape and size and and, and technique but Van der Vesthuizen is like I think, was he 6'3 six, 6'4 six, uh, Van der Vesthuizen he was a big man he was a force of nature um, um, he didn't have as good a pass as Georgie and uh, I would have said he was it's funny because you look at Ewist and you think he may be the best rugby player on that list of names, but not necessarily the best nine, you know. And um, so I, yeah. So that's the re- and that's one of the reasons I, I think George had um, played longer, played an awful lot more, um, but was technically fantastic. Like Ewist was the best running nine. Um, uh, best defending nine, um, one of the best kicking nines, you know, um, at that time. But yeah, I look, and I, as I said, this is not an exact science, um, and I can be challenged on every single one of these, and I'll fail in answering some of them too. You've got John Lomu on the wing, 
and the list of other wingers who it could have been are Campisi, Yain Evans and Philippe Saint-André. That's a, there's a, a, as depth charts go, that's pretty bloody deep. It is, and I and it's funny because I've Lomo on one wing, and I've I think we should talk about the other wing as well at the same time. But if we talk about Lomo first, um, when Lomo came on the scene, I think it was ninety four, Hong Kong Sevens. I think that's where the world suddenly um, um, uh, got to notice him. I mean, two years prior, he had played against the um, he played for. New Zealand schools against the Ireland schools. He played at number eight against Anthony Foley and both of them have since passed away, which is terrible. But um, so we would have known about him a little from then, but then suddenly 94, he comes on, causes total carnage and the sevens um, goes on to the World Cup and we now have Jonah Loma rugby because of, of that as a thought and an idea. And he changed pretty much everything. He was the first global superstar um, he changed, I think, he became the face of the, you know, the sort of potential of what professionalism could be at that stage in 95. And he was extraordinary, incredibly nice guy, quiet guy, um, um, considerate guy, um, but changed the game, I would have said. I remember asking Roger this question, Keith, a couple of years ago regarding Jonah Lomu. He talked about trying to hang on to his bootlaces when he was coming towards him. What, what's going through your head when Jonah Lomu is running full speed towards you on a pitch? Well, I, I got to say fear, but there isn't fear. I don't think so anyway. Um, you, 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 you're talking, you're thinking about commitment. Um, and I remember going to tackle him at one stage and I said, I'll get him exactly in the right spot, just above the knee. Um, uh, and I, for all intents and purposes, it was like hitting a force field that you'd see in Star Trek or something. I don't know that I actually hit him, but I didn't knock him or nothing seemed to happen. I mean, the the best guy I knew to tackle him was Peter Stringer. And Stringer seemed, he used to get tangled up in his feet, and that was the way of knocking him over. I mean, he was huge, absolutely huge. A really, really big, um, like, just like, what about you? He was six foot five or six. Um, um, I think, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, six foot five or six. 17 and a half, 18 stone, moving at an unbelievable clip. Um, it's not fear, but you may not be fully entirely filled with confidence that you're going to do the job. Um, you, you mentioned the other wing at the same time. So it's Jason Robinson getting in ahead of Joe Roth. What is it that made Jason Robinson be in your team? Again, I suppose ahead of Campesi and Ian Evans and, and PSA as well. Yeah, look, I put them all in at different times and actually, I, and I'm always getting 11s and 14s wrong. So whoever wants to kind of criticise which players are picked on which side, you can, you can, I'll take whatever that. Uh, the reason I went for, for Jason Robinson um, at that time was, again, I thought he changed a lot of the game. I thought he became, um, he was an incredible convert uh, to rugby union, having played rugby league at such an incredible level, having done everything in that game, he then moved over to to union. He got kind of picked a little bit early on on the Lions tour in two thousand and one. I think it was it was a probably a big call to pick him until you saw him at training, and then it wasn't a big call at all. And he was so. I, I when I played against him and I trained against him, it was fear because it wasn't a fear of being run over. It wasn't um, 
um, you know, there was no uh, bodily fear. It was embarrassment. Um, he His nickname was Billy Wiz, which was a really good nickname for him. He was like a swirling dervish. You, you literally couldn't, uh, you, you couldn't get hands on him. He could stop on the spot and step left and step right. You had fresh air at different times. Not many players would do that. He could do that. Uh, incredibly to the fact that he then went and went on a Lions tour and then you know continued on with England afterwards I thought he was I thought he was incredible now there's so many other guys that could have been there but I just thought at that time he became he was the best convert at that stage um, Campisi, you kind of missed the peak, Campisi. Is that one of the reasons? Well, that's why? it. That's yeah. that's the reason. I mean, I, I, look, I've often talked about Campisi because he played in the first tests that that I played, and he lost some of his pace. But what he learned in his last year or two was how to kick the ball sixty five yards on on a parallel straight down the pitch, left and right. So he lost the pace, but he was still the best kicking option that was in the game, which was pretty amazing. Um, and of course, could have gone with him just as easy. And uh, and he was extraordinary. And um, it, it's funny when I go back to thoughts and times when I wasn't playing, before I played uh, his pass to Timmy Horn for the try in the semi-final of the World Cup in 91, which he, he sidesteps and runs, pass, uh, runs to the touchline and just little tip back in over his shoulder, knowing that Tim Horn would be there. Um, it went down as... The, the moment of that World Cup but it was just sublime skill yeah uh, uh, one quick, quick question about Ian Evans he's kind of for a whole generation is more a pundit than a player so what was he like as a player um, well he, I think Ian was the no I'm not old enough to remember a lot of the 70s rugby but I've watched a lot of the 70s rugby of that great team um, the great Welsh team that, that beat England consistently and won Grand Slams they were pretty phenomenal um, there was a bit of a gap then afterwards and I think Yain plugged that gap Yain was he was just a flyer but an incredible finisher and so he had an ability to um, to evade when there was space in the field he found the space and um, uh, he was an incredible link man but he didn't need to link for the most part himself he was he was he was going to score and uh, look I was very fortunate to get the, the chance to tour with him um, I called him dad actually on the tour in 97 um, and he was the oldest guy on, on, on that trip and he played he played the first test got injured afterwards but um, I didn't get to play against him enough for him to, to, to be there that would be the reason why he wasn't there fair enough unbelievable I mean he was exciting so he would have set the place alight right uh, that's it really important kind of thing in, in picking these teams and the, that power of nostalgia as well so Christian Cullen is your fullback um, it's fair to say that uh, so many Irish rugby fans don't really fully appreciate Christian Cullen because his time in Munster was so unfortunately injury blighted but um, when we're talking about setting the place alight and being exciting there's very few people ever who've had the kind of impact that Christian Cullen had when he got the ball in his hands Look, if we if we look at some of the others we've there, we've uh, Emil Entomac, or as Pat Whelan used to call him, Natomac, um, Andre Joubert, Jeff Wilson. I even put Gavin in there because Gavin was very important for um, for for rugby at the time. Um, but Christian set the world alight. Um, he had the best running style of any um, fullback I'd seen. Now he was playing in an incredible team, but he picked the best line consistently. 
but it was the zigzagging of his run. It was his accelerating onto onto a ball, um, accelerating into a space. He'd have these crazy arcing runs and then absolutely like destroying the opposition with a step. And he stepped off both legs incredibly well. He just had to play some fire. We didn't get to see the best of him when he played in Ireland. With with Munster, his his knees were shot. And you know, if you're if you're talking about a stepping full back and his knees aren't working, we're never going to see the best. And that was very unfortunate um for him. Um and he didn't get the chance to to end out his career as he would have liked to. But I can't remember his stats, but his stats were a try a game nearly nearly for his whole for his whole career. He was just extraordinary. And um uh, for me, he was he wasn't a big man either, and I just thought he was like kind of Roy the Rover stuff when you saw him at fifteen. The uh, the last two then are obviously the centres. We we skipped over those. So uh, the ones who didn't make it: Tim Horan, Jason Little, and Frank Bunce. So this is a this is going to have to be a good centre partnership, and it's not bad. Hmm. Jeremy Guscott and Scott Gibbs. Speaking of um, converts, so yeah, well, Gibbsy was rugby first, then was went he? to rugby league. Okay. Uh, and uh, and then came back to rugby, so that was why I, I'd said that in that fashion. Uh, Jeremy was uh, he was the he was the prince of centres, you know. And I have them at twelve and thirteen because they often wore different jerseys. He did with England, um, but Jerry was a thirteen for the most part. Or, um, but his ability to show and go, um, and again, I think it's different because the the game has changed an awful lot. So you wouldn't have as much space to show and go now because the defensive line is far straighter. Um, but he had incredible acceleration. And also, which which I would have said, you know, he was selfish enough to go for it and to score, but he also knew when to make the pass. And I thought he was a fantastic uh, um, uh, passer at the right time. He was a great man to put a fullback or a winger away and did that consistently. Um, Gibbsy was and I played against him um, and I played with him he was about as destructive as it comes as as a 12 Um, he was just he was was extraordinary and I mean it changed the game people might think that it's changed the game to the negative because there's so little space but he was he was was he was described as the fastest prop who ever played in the centre you know, fastest prop in the world, <laughs> but he was he was absolute solid, total tank, and the two of them got on unbelievably well. And um, they uh, it, it, again, that was one of those very easy partnerships to see on a lines uh, on a lines tour. They were just incredibly comfortable with it, and like I often talk about the fact that in the second test in '97, Jeremy played. Very quietly, he didn't have a huge amount to do. Um, uh, Scott Gibbs did a colossal amount of work. Jeremy didn't do a huge amount. Um, and the, I'm going to say the game was drifting him by uh, to some degree until he had to make his one telling element, which was to score his first ever drop goal, which was magnificent. Frank Bunce just missing out to, to Scott Gibbs, Keith. I know you played against Frank plenty of times, an All Blacks legend. Not plenty of times. No, I'm. I, I only a couple played of against, times. I think I only played against him once, but that was at the uh, at the end of his career. But he is one of the guys that I would have 
um, grown up and watched and there was him and Walter Little and, and um, Stanley and there was but Frank Bunce was amazing great hands great physicality like a really good blend but again I didn't play against him enough it was or didn't see him enough at that at his pump Was there anybody who you'd like to play against that you didn't? Um, Sean Fitzpatrick All right. Sean yeah, Sean isn't in, in, in the list of, of hookers. Of course, he, sh- he should be in the list of hookers, but um, he isn't because I didn't play against him. He he got injured and pulled out about three days before we played them in 97. Um, but he was the he was the, the totem pole to the change of, of what hooker play was. Um, and um, ball carrying forwards, you know, sort of different roles that started 10 years previously with, with Fitzy. And um, uh, his longevity was truly extraordinary. You know, I um, he played. Did he play fifty-eight or sixty tests without missing a minute? You know, and like extraordinary stuff. You know, but um, so I didn't get the chance to play against him. Of course, there's loads that you look at that you'd say Serge Blanco, who was um, was as a as a kid was my favourite um, player. I'd, I'd Philippe Saint Andre down on that list. There was a load of French guys that that played in the in the eighties that were extraordinary. They played this wonderful um, style of rugby. You'd love to have been able to play that or to see that as well with their pristine so, white shorts against Ireland as well, where they they haven't even touched the ground. I played in a couple of those too, so <laughs> there, there's no fun in that either. But um, yeah, I mean, when you look back at the list. You think it's pretty. There's some pretty wonderful players in there, you know, and and so that's um, yeah. I, it was a really interesting time of rugby because rugby was changing, um, and um, so you saw. So and that team, I think, is a reflection of some of the old and the new. Yeah, great stuff, Keith. Brilliant. Thanks a million. I'm glad you wasted yeah. your Monday so that we could spend some time with you on the Wednesday. It was great. <laughs> okay, cheers, gents. Good luck. Uh, great stuff there from Keith Wood picking the best 15 he played against it's uh, 9.31 OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today we're going to the World Cup oh, it doesn't feel real because oh, it's amazing Yeah, we've been talking about this game for so long in advance and now it's, it's finally over we can relax the mood would have been a bit more uh, they're going to qualify for a lot of tournaments now well it's the start this of what it. happens you, the dam bursts Snowball. and you're like uh, and we'll have, a, we'll have a higher seed for Europe and we'll get better as it goes and we'll become accustomed and why the hell wouldn't we go to the World Cups yeah ah, that's, it's going to be great it's going to be and so many Irish fans over there just can't wait for the atmosphere um, roll on, I don't want to wish my life away but uh, roll on July ah, well we can have a nice long slow marinade as we as we all go uh, soak it all in yeah. I, I hadn't realised that it was July to August amazing timing yeah 100% uh, right you've been driving fast in a in a Porsche right so uh, Alex Dunn is a Formula 4 driver that's a single seater yeah right yeah. but he's not just good at that he's also good at driving Porsches fast turns out he can drive any car fast Yeah, he, he actually just secured the British Formula 4 championship last right. weekend um, by over 100 points like dominance in the British Formula 4 and this is this, this is a championship where there's loads of good young drivers he's, under, he's 16 16 he doesn't have a, doesn't have a driver's licence so there's like if it keeps going I'm not putting any pressure on him but if it keeps going Formula 1's realistic yeah he's already tested a Formula 3 car he's been picked for Ferrari's kind of academy young driver of excellence programme so they're keeping an eye on him um, as long as the money is there and the sponsors seem to be coming in and he's doing the right thing by getting a lot of media coverage uh, there's no reason why not uh, it's obviously tough to get one of those 20 seats on the Formula 1 grid but I think Eddie Irvine was the last Irish driver Alex is, is certainly the 
the next name that we need, we need to watch out for. I wouldn't be at all surprised. He's got the the cocky aura that I think you need to have to be a Formula Formula One driver. So I'm going to watch his journey very closely. See, so yeah, we were down in Mondello Park and um, drove me very very quickly around the track. I was kind of holding on for dear life. We're back tomorrow. With Graham Hunter's Champions League update. We'll have some club GA chat, more Ireland reaction. Of course, there's a press conference this morning. We'll bring you that and loads of um, I don't know conversation about how great we are at uh, women's football at the moment. OTB AM With Gillette Get into your flow With the new Gillette Labs Razor With exfoliating bar